You're listening to episode 144 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Um, Sean, do you think people come to us for our expertise in comics? Uh, not yours, certainly. Well, I wouldn't say Pete's either, because if you okay. check his Twitter, his favorite characters are really basic. Coming from wow. the guy whose favorite character is Superman, you're going to call me basic because I like Spider-Man. And Batman. Yeah, right. Sean doesn't like Batman, sure. And Doctor Doom. Great hero, or great villain, rather. And Mr. Freeze. Yo, have you seen the Batman animated series? That's the best episode of that show. That's your, that's your poll for best DC villain? Yeah, it's my favorite, not best. I think there's a better DC villain, oh. but I like him. Guys, I need to weigh in. No, 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 Phil. Why don't you defend yourself? Who are your favorites? Uh, all, all the most obscure ones, frankly. Oh, cool. So you're a hipster. Oh, who, who's arguing with that? Anyway, I'm sorry. So you're saying Superman. Superman. The poster child of DC Comics is the most obscure DC superhero. Sean, oh. can, I, can, I, can, I, can I jump in here? Because honestly, this, the, the, bit's, the bit's gone down. It's, it's, it's fine. Uh, so the, the correct <laughs> answer is Swamp Thing. Sandman. No, you have to do one more. You don't even know the game. He doesn't yeah. even know the no, game. No, uh, wait, wait. What do you mean? Okay, so this is the deal. On Twitter, there was a thing going on where you would say your favorite Marvel and DC hero and your favorite Marvel and DC villain. Right. So Swamp, swamp Thing, right? And what about so, Sandman? Okay. Sandman, uh, Sandman doesn't count. He's outside of uh, either so he's villain a, or, or hero. He's He's neither. So who's you know the favorite Marvel hero? There was no neither category. What do you, you also, mean? You also always say that Swamp Thing's not a hero, so he doesn't oh. fall in this category either. Two for two. Oh my anyway, God. Marco, fa- okay, favorite DC hero, Swamp Thing. Favorite Marvel hero is... No, favorite Marvel villain is Doctor Doom. Hero. Oh. Uh, why? Wait, no, his favorite hero is Doctor Doom. Just saying, <laughs> no, come on. It thanks, is. thanks for being on the right side of history, Marco. Favorite, favorite, favorite hero is Doctor Doom. Okay, fine. Uh, Phil, what are your answers? Okay. Uh, favorite DC hero is... Hmm. You ready here? Wait for Phil for 15 seconds to come up with an answer that's a joke? I don't got jokes. My favorite DC hero is Crypto. Favorite Marvel hero? Cosmo. Also okay. a dog. <laughs> The brilliant comedy stylings Jesus Christ. of he, funny man Phil Casey. This guy wants to put me on blast for just throwing out an opinion, and he doesn't even have a joke. He's got no answers. This guy sucks. You can you give a real dogs? answer okay. so I can move on from this dead bit? I don't even want to hear his answer. Tell me your answer, Sean. I want to hear his answer. Superman, Daredevil, um, favorite villains, um, Gorilla Grodd. Yes! Yes! Yeah. <laughs> Solid. Awesome. And uh, Marvel side. Um, fuck, I don't know. Um, oh, Annihilus. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so, favorite Marvel hero is Jean Grey. Favorite DC hero is Batman. Oh! Interesting, Phil. Uh, it's okay if it's one, but all four? <sighs> favorite DC yeah, villain is is Two-Face. Nice. That's a good and one. Thank you. Not popular and at all. Favorite, <laughs> I wouldn't say Two-Face is... I mean, I could have said the Joker, and I wouldn't say the Joker, but that'd be... That's like... <laughs> um, then, it's not like I said the Joker, all right? Like, <laughs> that's true. Favorite Marvel villain. That's tough. 
I'm going to go with Magneto. Nice. Solid choice. I always like Teeter. Like, I think of him more as like, in the same way that, you know, we call like Deadpool like an anti-hero. He's like an anti-villain. Like, he's definitely a villain, but I, he's, he's, not a, he's not a horrible guy. Oh, no. It's not <laughs> horrible at all to try to launch nukes to blow up Earth. <laughs> That's he normal. did it in self-defense, Sean. This is, yeah. this is a guy who was defending Vegeta, saying like, oh yeah, he's a great guy. Committed genocide multiple times throughout his life. Hey man, he found redemption in fatherhood. What are you going to do? All you weirdos that say that Vegeta is a better guy than Goku because he's a better dad, like, let's have some real... Let's have some real discussions here. He's definitely a better dad. I think we can all agree there. Okay. Alright, so... Welcome to episode 144 of the Comics Pals. Happy you're joining us. Long walk. We've got a lot to talk. Yeah, you're not kidding. We've got a lot to talk about, and we just wasted five minutes. So, uh, <laughs> the Comics Pals way. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna be talking about uh, the rest of San Diego Comic Con. There's a lot of big, big, big news that came out of there. So, um, especially Marvel's Hall H stuff. That's gonna be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, so. We'll be getting into all that just a little bit later, but before we move on, I want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the place. Don't worry, Phil's not normally that unfunny. Just kidding. Yes, he is. We are on most podcast hosting platforms at The Comics Pals, so you can check us out over there. At The Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com with your thoughts on anything we talk about on this or any other episode of the show. And of course, while you're on any of those platforms, you can make sure to leave us a like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Helps us out a lot. It's free to do, and it helps us a lot more than it costs you. So, uh, you know, do the internet stuff and make us happy. Hey, guys, I noticed something, by the way. Yeah. Marco's here. (laughs) Yeah, Marco has rejoined the clan. What, wasn't he here the last four weeks or whatever? He might have been. Do you remember hearing him? Uh, I don't... Do we ever hear him, though? Fair. We weren't talking about Swamp things, so... It's kind of the equivalent of just a tumbleweed going by when he's here, when he's not. <laughs> Marco? He's think- not even saying anything now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Oh wait, it literally did. <laughs> I think this is saying in this episode. Couldn't even defend myself. This isn't fair. So for those of you who are unaware, uh Marco's recording just stopped in the middle of us roasting him for not talking. Yeah, so, so there you go. Pretty brilliant luck on our end. The sad thing <laughs> is I really couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> if a Marco makes a noise in a forest and no one's around to hear it, did he make a sound? No. Yeah. <laughs> the bear shit in the woods? Yeah. No. No. Oh. What are they shit? Phil's house. Hey. <laughs> uh. Yeah. All right. So let's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. That's the opening. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> let's jump into the pals pulls. So Pete chose life is seven or life is seven. Life is strange. Number seven. Oh yeah. That. Yeah, I forgot. That was already solicited. Yeah. And so this there was, is, there was yeah. a weird thing where it showed up again. There's a second cover. And I was like, oh, Life is Strange 7. And then Sean was like, didn't we talk about this one last week? And I was like, yeah, I thought we did. So apparently it's back on shelves again if you're looking for one of the alternate covers. So check it out this week. I've really been enjoying the ride. You can hear my thoughts about it again last week. Don't want to reiterate. There you go. 
Uh, Marco, Man or Black, number one. Man or Black uh, is a book that I've been looking forward to. It's Cullen Bunn uh, and Tyler Crook, who uh, we had on recently. And um, I'm excited to dig into their work together again. Uh, I haven't They haven't done anything since Harold County. That's a book that I really, really enjoy. Uh, I know... Sean, when you jumped in, uh, you you had a lot of fun with that first arc. Yeah. Um, so definitely they're in their element. Uh, they're playing with their uh, their horror. So definitely excited to just jump in and, and see what the world's like. That's awesome, man. Uh, I'm probably going to buy this. Yes. It's a number one. Love Tyler Crook. Uh, so yeah, this is, this is for me. And then you also chose pa- uh, Paper Girls number 30. Yeah, so Paper Girls is coming out. It's going to be... I, I don't know if this is the last issue. Um, I think it might be. I'll, or it I'll might look that be up. 32. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to, to this book. Uh, it, it's nearing the end, so I want to see how it all ties together. Uh, I've fallen off the last couple issues, but I'm excited to go pick this one up because on August 1st, they're going to have Brian K. Vaughn and Chief, uh, Cliff Chang, the uh, writer and artist, are going to be at Midtown Comics, um, or sorry, at JHU in the city, John Henson Universe. So I want to pick this book up so I, I can get them to sign it. So hopefully I get the chance uh, and you'll uh, see a picture. Wait of it. a second. Are you saying that Brian K. Vaughn didn't write, draw, letter, and color this book by himself? He did not, unfortunately. That's amazing. I yeah. I thought he did because every single website reported the news about Paper Girls getting picked up by I believe it was Amazon as only Brian K Vaughn being the creator of the book. So I just <laughs> thought it was just him. I don't know. That might be my mistake. Honestly, I I, I don't read it. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, just so, to clarify, thirty is the last issue. Yeah. Oh, there you go. What a ride for those guys. Yep. Yeah, what a I'm, ride. I'm excited for that one too. I'm similar to Marco where I've kind of fallen off since the second arc, but I'm looking forward to catching up. I really enjoyed Paper Girls a lot and I fell off, but I don't know why. I don't know why. Like I fell off a right? long time ago. Oh, okay. I, I I don't know. I fell off like like 25 maybe. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It was just like it was there and I was like, I don't know if I want to read this right now I think, yeah I, the thing for me is i often struggle to keep up with a monthly book that goes on forever and ever and ever like that because i just enjoy it more when i'm not reading it month to month you know like it's it's more enjoyable for me to sit down and read two or three issues of paper girls or like an arc at a time rather than one or two you know um yeah and i think i know like for me whenever i get into a new series i kind of go through like that initial interest and then like the spike in like wanting to seek it out and and like pay a lot of attention to it and then eventually just becomes another thing that I like or another thing that I'm following and that kind of wears off and it just becomes like I did the same thing with Saga you know it's not that I like Saga any less now than when it was first coming out it's just like it's not new and fresh so I'd rather read it six issues at a time Mm -hmm. awesome um and sorry the Tyler Crook interview was episode 134. Got to get that out. Appreciate you. So, uh from Phil we have Green Lantern annual number 1. Might surprise all of you to know that I like Green Lantern. Get out. Sharp and Grant Morrison. No, uh. I know. 
surprising. Wow. Yeah, I I was. Yeah. Um it's been really interesting because most recently we've uh, had the Green Arrow. They've been uh, breaking up a what a space cartel kind of thing, which is pretty rad. They had Adam Strange a while ago, who's now uh, getting his own book soon. Uh, spoilers, I guess. It's fine. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited for this. I love annuals. Uh, the last... The last annual I read was Sideways, uh, which had Grant Morrison as a guest appearance. That was really wow. good. Uh, that was a few months ago. So yeah, really eager to pick this up. Cool, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick this up too. Oh, I don't yeah. know what Grant's gonna say, but I'm excited because this will be like. So this is ending at twelve, right? The Green Supposedly, Lantern run. Yeah. We're getting ten you next know, month. an extra issue. So yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, I chose. American Carnage number nine. This is uh, Brian Edwards Hill. Ed, Brian Edward Hill's jam, uh, and obviously we're big fans of him over on this podcast. Yep, had him on episode one thirty. Nice, look at you. And then, uh, of course, can't forget Leandro Fernandez, who I think has done a tremendous job on this book, American Carnage. This is unfortunately the last issue. So if you've been enjoying the ride like I have. It's time to say goodbye. For now, Brian has kind of teased that there's a possibility to return to this world. So maybe sometime down the road. But uh, for the time being, this is the end of the chapter. So very much looking forward to that. And then Pete and I both chose Powers of X number one. Yeah. Now, we are going to be reviewing House of X for you guys. In fact... The review's up right now. So if you want to hear that, if you're looking for our, our commentary on House of X, you can go over and check that out whenever you feel like going over, although I think you should stay with us and listen to the rest of this. Um, so we'll be we'll be reviewing that for you guys. You can hear that now. And then we'll also be back next week to talk about Powers of X. So you can check both of those out. But like I said, the House of X review is actually not in this episode. So you have to slide over and click uh, click the link. And uh, go check out our review of House of X. So I'm really looking forward to Powers of X. I think this whole thing is fantastic. I'm super excited to see what Jonathan Hickman has in store. And if House of X is any indication, it's going to be wild. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a pretty similar boat there where, you know, I think we talked about this a lot about how the X-Men brand has kind of suffered a bit of, um, you know, like, obviously, it's been kind of marginalized because of the whole business, you know, dealings with Disney and Fox and everything. But I, I think it's also kind of struggled to, like, find uh, an identity and have runs that have really felt, like, meaningful in a while. And, like, this feels like a really, like, it it feels like the X-Men I remember, you know, when I was still engaged with the book on a regular basis. And um, the idea of what you know, Hickman is establishing in, in House of X right now, which, you know, we'll talk about in the review, go check it out, um, is promising to me. You know, it definitely seems like an X-Men story that is, like, a logical step for the characters and where they've been over the last couple of years, and I'm really excited to see what, like, the long-term implications of it could be. Surprise, surprise, mutants are marginalized. Magneto was right. That's what I'm saying. I told you he's a good guy. Also, isn't it amazing what a little, you know, push does for this book because they have not promoted the x-men in like a decade and uh now that they're promoting them uh people are hyped 
I mean, you're not kidding, man. House of X is selling really, really well. The pre-orders are great. They're in third printing already on the book that just just came out. Yeah, so... People want X-Men. Yeah. I mean, it also definitely helps that Hickman is the one writing it. Mm -hmm. How how long has it been since it... Well, there's been... Have there been consistent official X Men titles yeah. like uh, like continue? Yeah, right. So they're, it's not that they're like gone. It's just so all it is is that because Marvel didn't have the rights to the X Men for film, they weren't right. interested in bigging them up and, like, and promoting them in the comics, and also not interested in creating new characters that would then be stolen, essentially for the film world. So, it sucked. We all knew it. Marvel lied. They were saying that wasn't true. We know it's true. Now that they have the rights back, lo and behold, the X-Men are the biggest thing going. House yeah, and who are the other characters that show up in uh, House of X? There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic Four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, no, yeah. It's, it's absolutely true. Yeah, it, it's clear, right? And uh, yeah. I, I got to say, like, I was so... Right, we'll, we'll talk about it. I'm excited to talk about this book. It's 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 a it's a cool time to be an X Men fan. House of Ideas, more like House of Lies. It it's also kind of maybe a cool <laughs> time to be a Watchmen fan. And oh. so we're jumping into the news, and I want to talk about the trailer because I definitely think the trailer was interesting, and I have thoughts about that. It showed off a lot, and it answered. Or raised up a lot of questions. Um, But there's two sides to this. Because there's the trailer. But then there's also what Damon Lindelof said to Deadline. That's been making the rounds as big news. So uh, first let's talk about the trailer. Does anyone have anyone hot off the presses about the trailer? I I saw it and I know that I've been excited for the the show. You know, I I like David Lindelof. I, I... think hbo as a uh as a production house and as like a they, they put out good shows yeah. consistently and and I, I trust the creativity behind that i trust the the direction so i was excited for this to come out but what i saw um my brother shared it with me and and my first reaction was just like i'm not excited for this like this th- this trailer didn't do anything to bring me into the world uh-huh. uh it made me really question a lot, like the the tone, what they were thinking with respect to some of the characters. It brought up a lot of questions, but questions that I wasn't interested in exploring, I think. And so for me, this was more of a, this is what the show is. You either are interested in that or not, and I don't think I was. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you want the show to be really loyal to the source material is that important to you no but i think i would expect there to be a bit of there would be enough there to ground you in the world that we do or are familiar with like the world we do know listen the show is a rorschach test you see what you want to see sure i mean the show the show is Faithful in the sense that it takes, like, what happened in Watchmen still happened. This is after. Yeah. Right, right. I, I guess 
maybe it wasn't enough to show me the internal consistency, gotcha. which is what I, I sort of am attracted to, to ground me enough for me to be interested to explore what they're putting down. Yeah. But I don't see enough of that for me to char- start taking steps into the direction that they want me to take. That's a very interesting thing to say. And uh, I, I want to directly respond because there, HBO's in an interesting position. So on the one hand, obviously it's Watchmen. And so there are people who have a connection to Watchmen and like yourself want to know, okay, so it's a Watchmen show that takes place in the future. How does this sort of relate to Watchmen? What's the connective tissue? And on the other hand, HBO has to appease a fan base that has no idea what Watchmen is, right? So these trailers are, you know, a two-minute, three-minute opportunity to sell people on the book. And if they focus too much on explaining how this connects to the show, it could alienate people who don't know anyway. But if they don't show you anything, then it might alienate people who do have that connective tissue. So in my mind... The best way to approach that is to hope that the little things like showing Ozzy, like showing the potential of Dr. Manhattan, small stuff like that will be enough to hook people who've read the book to be like, wait, what the hell is going on here? That's what I'm thinking they're trying to do with these trailers. Yeah, I I definitely think that uh, that totally makes sense, right? Like you you need to bring in people from from both ends who like me have read it and might have strong feelings about it or somebody who is just an HBO fan and knows their production. Um, like for me, the, there was enough, there was enough for me to, to, to sit, to go and sit and watch it, but not enough for me to get like really excited about it. I think it comes back to that thing that we've talked about before where it was the same thing with before Watchmen and it was the same thing with uh, doomsday clock where do you fall on doing more Watchmen stuff? And obviously that's really contentious for a lot of people. It's like this Holy Bible. And I think for something like this, the question is what else is there to say with Watchmen? Um, Cause that whole thing was like a deconstruction of an entire medium that had kind of reached like it's pinnacle over the last 30 years for where and what it was. Um, I obviously don't care about that. Uh, I'm into the trailer. I'll give it a shot. Um, I have HBO right now, so I will give it a genuine shot and see how I feel. So you're going to watch it, but did it excite you? <laughs> Nothing excites me. <laughs> like m- movies and, and TV shows generally don't hype me up very much. Um, okay. I need to watch it to see how I feel. Sure. Yeah, I would say I'm somewhere in between those two opinions. Uh, a lot of what Marco's saying is resonating with me. Um, but I do, I, I will give the show a shot, you know, um, for the same reasons that Phil outlined, but I'm not excited about it. Um, I definitely, I, I've gone back and forth in terms of like, I definitely think that uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I feel like I was like, well, if they're going to move the timeline forward, at least they're trying to do something new. Like, that excites me more than them just turning the book into a show again or, you know, like trying to adapt it one for one. Um, but I got to say, like, I'm with Marco where the more we see of it, the less interested I feel like I am, you know, because it's like I don't really like they're just showing me a lot of stuff that I don't really have any connection to. You know, like, I think like 
to Sean's point, they're kind of banking that I'm going to be excited by like, oh, like Ozzy's in the background. And like I saw that there was like a newspaper headline in this one that I think like might have said he was like dead or disappeared or something. So like there's these threads that they're dropping and like what's this Rorschach gang? Like what's up with – but it's just like I don't I don't know. Like do I care about any of that? Like if it's good, I, I'm, I'm certainly open to liking it. But like the promise of what happened in the world of Watchmen after Watchmen is like – I just – I don't know, man. Like – I, I got to say, I overall just don't – I don't feel super positive about that. And I don't know if it is like that I have that kind of holy, precious attitude toward it or towards it or if it's just that like – can we just like leave well enough alone? Like Watchmen is a great complete story that has an ending. And like – yeah, like Doomsday Clock has totally found a way for me to get interested in that world again. But like – so do I need like – do I need another – alternate exploration of you know i don't know you never know i don't could know be good it could be good and I, I said i'm i'm open to it being good if i watch the first episode and i like it i'll be happy to swallow my you know my concerns and say it's great and recommend it but like go, coming out of this trailer like i don't really need or want another trailer and like my excitement level for the first episode is mostly it's just like you know eh, I'll, I'll watch it i'll try it what about you, yeah I, I i think that they have Watchmen fans already. Because if you're a hater, you want to see how bad it is. <laughs> if you are excited, you're just excited. And if you're not excited, but it's Watchmen still, you'll you'll tune in. So I think it's a smarter decision to focus on those of us who've never consumed Watchmen before. And I think that, like anything else, well, not quite anything else, but with HBO, they they rest on quality, you know. Yeah. Um, they, this isn't a situation where it's like, oh, hey, we have the rights to a Marvel property. Let's just pump out some crap, you know. Gotham. Uh, <laughs> you said it. Uh, <laughs> this is a scenario where it's HBO. They have star power on the show. They have Damon Lindelof. So. I'm excited off that alone. If I saw no trailers, I'd be hyped. Um, but I think these are good. So the other end of this conversation is that Damon Lindelof is actually kind of his own worst enemy. And the reason why I say that is because he did an interview with Deadline and he said some things that really upset a lot of people. Uh-oh. Now, you already know and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna uh, give you guys what he said in a moment, but you already know that you're adapting a property that people are cagey about. So I don't feel like you rattle that cage by saying more things that upset people. But here's what he had to say. So uh, he, he talked about why he's why he did the book. So I'll read a little bit of that, or why he did the why he's doing the show. Uh, what in 2019 is the equivalent? of the nuclear standoff between the Americans and the Russians. It is race and the police. There is no defeating white supremacy. It's not going away. There are no easy answers and grandiose solutions. So race is going to be a factor here, I guess. That's I wasn't aware of that. That's potentially interesting, actually, when you think about the Rorschach gang, considering that in the original book, like Rorschach is like a far-right, you know, like, 
like kind of like an alt right kind of guy, you know. He like reads this crazy conspiracy newspaper. He's super homophobic, like and misogynistic, and all that shit. I don't know. That could be interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm into it. That's um, there's juice there. Yeah, yeah, but he, but that's also something he's been catching flack for. Is that is is that question of well, why are you the guy to handle? race a conversation about race but why why not who who is me uh, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah that's that's one of those like tough things i think you know i know like you're you're always one to to bring up that conversation sean and like kind of challenge that line of thinking of like you know is it acceptable for someone like damon lindelof who's like not you know he's white right like um, I think. Yeah, I, I feel like he's Jewish. Okay. But that could yeah. be completely wrong on my part. I'll look it up while you talk. Either way, right? Like, it's the kind of thing where, like, I, I totally understand um, that mindset, I guess, of being, like, if, you know, like, why, why is it a person in his position um, doing it? But it's, like, I don't know. Like, I don't I don't necessarily think it's a uh, a good idea to say that, like, you know, certain kinds of people can't tell certain kinds of stories. Like, if he handles it in a way that's, like, uh, mature and thoughtful, like, that to me is, like, the test of why that matters. Like, I'm not going to judge the idea of a white man wanting to tell a story about uh, race and police in 2019 just because he's white, you know? like. And also, by the way, he is Jewish, but also... If it sucks, like, if the show sucks or if that angle of it sucks... Tear him down! That... (laughs) <laughs> but but it still doesn't mean that a white person can't tell that story. Right. All it means is that Damon Lindelof and whoever crafted the story with him didn't do a good job. Yeah, right. What it means is I want Pete the White explain this some more to us. Come on, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> don't I don't I like dig myself a grave enough on this show? You gotta like try to make me look bad too. I don't have to. You do it yourself. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> You're just piling on for no reason. So the real thing that that's sticking in people's craws is when he was asked about how things are going with him and Alan Moore and whether there's a there's a, a, a conflict there. Um, he talked about how he's reached out to Alan Moore and how Alan Moore has made it clear he does not want to have nah. a relationship with him. Um, but the specific the specific line that has people pissed off is he said. Uh, it's an ongoing wrestling match. Oh boy! In terms of, <laughs> in terms of getting you know things going with uh, with with Alan, um, but he said sort of in, in in the spirit of the work that that Moore has created, he said his philosophy is "fuck you guys, I'm doing it anyway." Frankly, if I, if it's up to me, the only thing I want to talk about is the penis of a reptilian. Otherwise, watchmen, or otherwise, I do not give a single fork. Actual quote. Yeah. My God. I, Exclusive. I invited this guy into my home, and I don't know why. I hate Phil. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I uh, this rubbed me the wrong way. You know, like, I, I get the spirit of what he was trying to say, but it's like, uh, to your point, Sean, it's like I don't, 
I don't think it's like a super wise move when you're working on a property that people are already like, like you said, cagey about or like not sure like how you're going to handle it to be like, well, well, fuck the original creator, right? Like, you know, it's it's like, ah, I don't know, man. Yeah, dude, like rattle the cage. My dude whipped his dick out and hit it. It just it just feels tone deaf. And and it's like disrespectful to the source of material that you're saying that you care about and want to honor, you know, the whip out of the dick is something I do respect. Mad props. Thanks, Alan Moore. If it were, I don't know. We just live in a time now where, you know, creators' rights are such a big issue and fans themselves care. And Alan Moore is one of the people on the front lines of that battle and has been for a long time. So I feel like if you're going to, in 2019, if you're going to say that, about any book, any creator, anybody, it cannot be Alan Moore. I think I think it also rings super tone deaf. Um, and I don't I don't want to take credit for this line of thinking because it's definitely from uh, Sabella on Twitter, where I remember he retweeted a very specific part of it. This was the thing he he screenshotted a specific part of of the article that that Sean's referencing, and it says. Uh, Alan Moore is a genius, Lindelof said before admitting he's made it very clear that he doesn't want to... Okay, I already got that part. But he admires Moore's, quote, punk rock spirit, rebellious spirit, and thinks if Moore were told back in the day that he couldn't do something, he would say, fuck you, I'm doing it anyway. So I'm challenging, channeling the spirit of Alan Moore to tell Alan Moore, fuck you, I'm doing it anyway. And Sabella said, ah, yes, everyone knows the punks were like, fuck you, and then adapted a creator's work against their wishes on behalf of a couple of corporations. Smash the state, but don't touch my HBO residuals. And it's, that's like, I, that's how it rings to me, right? Where he's like, he's invoking the spirit of Alan Moore, of that it's like tough and independent and he's going against the grain. And it's like, man, like, you're, you're doing this property that was stolen from Alan Moore by DC and is now being adapted by HBO, you know? And stolen is maybe not fair, but, you know, obviously there's that whole back and forth they've been having over the rights of Watchmen for decades. Big corporations are the are punk now. They're the real punks. See, and this is the part where I gotta say, you know, everyone needs to calm down. Uh, first of all, Damon Lindelof has nothing to do with the rights issues between Alan Moore and DC. He's a guy. And he's a guy who was hired to do a job. And he has to get into a mindset for how he needs to approach this work to do the job well. And if he's invoking the spirit of, 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 of Alan Moore, the spirit of Watchmen, and saying, I'm doing this anyway, I don't think it's a, it's a hey, guys, I'm doing this job because I want to help this big corporation make more money, or I personally want to make more money. I think because Damon Lindelof has probably enough money. I think he's saying, screw you guys. I'm telling the story that I want to tell the way Alan Moore would have told everyone, get out of my way. I'm telling this story. And so... I don't appreciate the way that people are twisting the language to make it justify an argument that's simply not valid in this case. So, and 
what what I was saying before when I said that I understand the spirit of what he said, it's how he said it that rubbed me the wrong way. I, I, I would say I generally agree with the point that you're making where like I think what we're getting caught up over is kind of like semantics. It's like I'm more upset with like the way he said what he said than the actual message of what he's trying to get across because like at the end of the day – you know, he was given this opportunity to tell a story in this universe. Alan Moore doesn't want anyone to do that, right? So somebody had to do it. And I I appreciate that he stands by his vision for the project, right? It's it's more just like that. It's it, And it is. It's, it's semantics. It's how he said it feels gross to me. You know, I read it and it kind of made me like, like recoil a little bit, you know? Um, so whether or not that like matters is kind of irrelevant. That's just really like what my gut reaction was to the interview. And like, I guess I get why people were up in arms about it, but I don't, I don't think that the points that you're making about it kind of being much to do about nothing are, are invalid because ultimately none of it matters until we see the product. If the product is good, it doesn't matter what he said or how he said it. Yep. I, I ultimately, I think that's the truth of it. And, uh, I, 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 I don't, I genuinely don't think that the backlash that's going on now is going to affect the show oh, when no. it drops in October. So it's all about, it's all about the product. Yeah. Ultimately, I think that's the case. So Mr. Moore, any, any closing thoughts uh, on the product? Giving him, we stop, stop, Marco, stop giving him a chance. Both HBO and DC Comics can go fuck themselves and suck <laughs> a reptilian dick. If you're going to read any Thanks, of my Mr. comic Moore. books, read From Hell. I'm done. Mic drop. Alright. So, last Friday, we learned that uh, Tom King and Mitch Jarrett were big, big winners at the Eisners, both of them took home uh, several awards between them, and then two days later, it was announced that these two are teaming up again. And we knew they were teaming up again. We didn't know on what. Now we know on what they're teaming up on a title called Strange Adventures, which is actually a uh, that's the title of the old Adam Strange book. So they're going to be working on an Adam Strange book. But this time, they're teaming up with Doc Shaner on the title. Yes. That's some kill shit. Yes. Also, I that just is... I love when they revive those old brand names like that from the old anthology series. Like I yeah. think those are so cool. Brave and the Bold. Man, this is cool as fuck. Yeah. Doc Shaner on a book. He has a super similar style to Darwin Cook um, and like New Frontier Adam Strange was the best. So like this is my shit. Uh, uh, we don't know like what the art breakout is necessarily like if they're doing certain issues or how they're sort of working that out but uh, I'm super excited for this I love Mitch uh, Doc Shaner's huge fan of his stuff um, and I, honestly I saw this news and my first reaction was to get excited about the art specifically but I'm I'm waiting for a bit more detail on what's actually going on with respect to the book and the the story uh as some of you know heroes in crisis was a thing so yeah but i think yeah. this is like getting back to the territory where tom has proven himself in the past you know as like a more focused character study well you want to know my theory sure my prediction i yeah i guess <laughs> you're so salty 
<laughs> yeah, you're the you're literally <laughs> the worst. <laughs> okay, so this is what I think. I think this is going to be another PTSD study, like every other Tom King book, and that's not to trivialize PTSD. It's just he's fallen into a pattern. Um, I think the Mitch stuff will be the parts that explore how Adam Strange is dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, where the Doc Shaner stuff will be, you know, all the stuff from yesteryear, and it'll be juxtaposed. Basically, that's mm. my that's my prediction. That could be cool. Yeah. I yeah I. Uh... I'm really excited, which is kind of weird. I think what did it for me, and I say it's kind of weird just because, you know, we've all been kind of down on on Tom lately, but uh, what did it for me is the covers that they released. Oh, okay. The the basic cover, which is just, you know, strange looking like really cool, looking heroic and stuff, um, was nice. But the other cover that... Uh, it's basically that same one, same pose, except it's like kind of grittier and says Stranger Danger and Space Liar. I, I think that's fantastic. And it it shows that there's going to be some kind of a juxtaposition between the way that I, I, like, I guess maybe the way that Adam Strange wants to be perceived and the way he really is or some type of thing that comes to light that changes the way that he's perceived. So I love stories like that. And stories that deal with that kind of subject matter. So I'm excited. What I'm very interested in, though, is the fact that both Doc Shaner and uh, Mitch are they're 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 they're, they're pencilers, right? So how's this going to work? What's the breakdown going to be? Is it going to now? Like, is it going to be? This is my my theory, and I want to hear what you guys think as well. Is there going to be some kind of like, here's one perspective on what happened. Here's another perspective on what happened. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Go ahead. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I I, I think that the Shaner stuff is going to be either to your point, how he wants to be perceived or maybe reminiscent of like the good old days versus uh, Mitch, which is going to be either how other people perceive him or maybe more droll uh, how he perceives himself now because he's in some kind of existential funk. It, it, yeah. It, it's going to be, uh, you know, myth versus reality or past versus present. Yeah. I think that's how it's going to be broken down. Yeah. And, and that definitely makes sense knowing just out of change because his, his whole thing is he's not perceived to be heroic on uh ran. He's uh, like a, a bumbling, you know, fool. He's primitive. He's not the, the person that everybody sort of wants him to be or needs him to be because of his relationship with like the royal family. So it's super in line with like everything you guys are laying out. And I, I think that's the kind of thing that would definitely work given the, um, the covers, you know, that, that Sean yeah. called out where it is like literally these two, like it's the same scene projected in two very different ways. So like, I think that's a super compelling idea for sure of like this kind of, distortion of reality with two different art styles seems like a really cool pitch i hope that's what it is yeah uh well we won't be getting an answer this year when's it come out because the the book comes out in 2020 okay so that's fine tom needs to win me back let's do it tom time for a comeback tour bubba yeah absolutely i think they got it i think i think i really do i do too i'm not worried about it I've been saying that even while we've been down on Tom, where it's like all he needs is another win and he's back on top. 
Is this another yeah. mini or ongoing? This is a twelve. This is a twelve okay. issue. Yeah, love that. Exactly where he his shines. <laughs> yep, his format. Yeah. So switching over to the Marvel side of things, obviously, uh, with House and Powers of X, we are getting a new era of the X Men. And I think a big question on everyone's mind has been, what the hell happens after House and Powers resolve? And we now know, uh, we learned on Saturday at New York, or New York, uh, San Diego Comic-Con, what exactly that lineup is going to look like. Uh, So they announced several new titles, and each of them has a unique lineup of characters and creative teams, and uh, I think a few of these are pretty cool, so I'm just going to ju- dive right in. Uh, so, for X-Men, the core title, it's actually going to be Jonathan Hickman and Lenio Yu. Now, this ti- this this uh, this cast of characters is actually really interesting, because it's literally... I think it's every character that is in the Scott Summers, Jean Grey family. Yeah. And Wolverine. Wolverine. (laughs) (laughs) Uncle Logan on a family summer road trip. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I saw a tweet that I thought was really funny that essentially said, don't talk to me or my father or my wife or my brother or my brother or my daughter (laughs) or my son or the or the guy who keeps hitting on my wife ever again. That's good. Um, so, any any thoughts on its face on that uh, lineup or title? This is a Sean ass book. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I fuck with this. I like Jonathan Hickman, and you know those are those are those are my X Men. So let's do it. Yeah, I'll give it. A I'm shot. not entirely sure that there could be an X Men book, and I want more <laughs> than that. Than that. Yeah. Who's missing this for you? Is, Oh God! All right, one, Hold on. one it's, person. Okay. Oh shit. Okay. Um. <laughs> <sighs> there's so many people I want to see. Uh, Storm. Okay. Oh, there's a love interest for Logan. Or Hope. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. So keep, I think you get X twenty three in there. You know, get another adopted, you know, adopted daughter in there, and just like really just get the whole familial vibe really rolling. <laughs> You can get no, it. this is only this is only a summer's family vacation, <laughs> there, and Wolverine. And but also that's Wolverine because, was there. There could be well, a sister book where it's Logan and like all his stepdaughters that he's been like a surrogate father to with like havoc or something. All his stepdaughters. Why does he have all these stepdaughters? <laughs> I mean, they kind of are. Kitty Pride, Jubilee. Yeah, all of all of his like adopted, you know. Young wards, because that's like Wolverine's like shtick is just like just befriend a sad young woman and help her transition into adulthood. <laughs> I don't know about that as a as a like a a path forward for Wolverine. Just a it's kind of a weird way to live. It's not. It's fine. He's a teacher. <laughs> right. Yeah. There are a lot of teachers in the world. All right. Come on. Don't project well, that shit on Wolverine right now. <laughs> well, I'm the best at what not I right do. Now. What I do isn't pretty. Oh, no shit! All right, so next book is Excalibur. Nice. Yeah. So this is going to be written by Teeny Howard, and the art will be by Marcus Toe and Mahmoud Azrar is actually providing covers for this. 
that's awesome because he's tremendous and I wish he was doing interiors. Although Marcus is great too. Uh, so the team here is going to be Rogue, Gambit, Jubilee, Richter, Apocalypse, and a new Captain Britain who is uh, Betsy Braddock. Here for this. This is pretty sick too. I got Confused say. for this. Yeah, very confused. What the fuck is Apocalypse doing on this team? But kind of reminds me when Darkseid was on Justice League Dark or whatever. Remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um I am hyped for this because this is a very unique team. So a couple things to note. Obviously Apocalypse is on the team. That's weird. Although Apocalypse has been in an interesting place over the last decade. Uh, he, so I don't know if you guys know or remember, but Apocalypse was a baby for a while. Yeah. (laughs) Chill stuff. And then he grew up and then that Apocalypse was like on the X-Men as a, as a kid. He didn't know anything about like, he knew his past. He knew what he was supposed to become, but he was just resisting it. And then I don't remember if that Apocalypse ended up getting triggered and becoming who he's supposed to be or what. But that's my thought here, and I'm not positive if that was resolved. But if it wasn't, then that's who this is. Yeah, maybe um, he'll stop being a jobber now. Yeah. Also, Jubilee, not a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? Was she a vampire? She was a vampire yeah, for a while. Yeah, she was a vampire. They unvampired her, huh? Yeah. What the fuck? All right, cool. And Rogue, uh, normal Rogue, not other Not vampire Rogue? rogue? Not va- She was never vampire Rogue. She was like sad oh, Rogue. okay. Uh, who was different Wait, what, in many ways. What was she? Uh, she was different. No, but you call, what did you call her? Sad? Oh, Sad Rogue, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they just, they, they took her in a totally different direction. And now she appears to be back to normal, and Gambit is with her as well. So I'm happy about all of that. Uh, the, we've also got Marauders. So this is by Jerry Duggan with the interior stuff by Matteo Lolly. And Russell Dodderman on colors or on covers rather. So this team is going to feature Kitty Pride, Emma Frost, Storm, Pyro Bishop, and Iceman. That's weird. Weird team. Yeah, I like. I like. I, I'm interested in this book though because there's a couple of my favorite X Men on this team. So I'll, I'll maybe maybe on this one. You know, you know, I love me some Kitty Pride, Storm, and Iceman. Bishop's cool too, but those those three are three of my faves. For me, this is a buy. However, this team's crazy. Yeah. This team makes what no you, sense, and I don't like the fact that it's called Marauders because I don't see how that makes sense. Did you? I liked. I liked what Hickman said about it. He goes, "The series Go is ahead. a quote a perfect example of taking a name you're familiar with and a bunch of characters, and it looks like nonsense. If we told you what the pitch is right now, you wouldn't understand. It's like, all right, fine. <laughs> so that's be that that's way. My question: What do you guys? think this is i have no idea i have no idea what a book called the marauders with this cast of characters is going to be about but if they're like going to go be pirates or something oh no (laughs) sean's out just kidding yeah i would instantly stop reading it um (laughs) i quit i'm done with the (laughs) x-men yeah it'd be over for that but um otherwise yeah as far as what the pitch is, I genuinely have no idea. They're going to fight crime and sewers? 
<laughs> that was my to be genuine. That was what I first thought. Right. I don't know what it is that about this title that gave me that impression. Well, isn't that like fucking what the Marauders were doing in the nineties? Underground shit. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Why not? All right. Who are the uh, uh, what are the what are the mutant people that live underground called? The Morlocks. Yeah. I wonder if we'll see some Morlocks or something. What if it just doesn't take place underground on any level? <laughs> <laughs> it's also also possible, I guess. Yeah. What if there's no scene that's underground? We were uh, the most wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, so we've got New Mutants. Cool. This one is going to be Jonathan Hickman and Ed Brisson. Yeah. John's going to be on for the first issue. Uh, and then Ed Brisson will take over completely. Rad. And then the art will be by Rod Reese. So Hickman said, when you see the roster, you're going to be like, Jonathan's doing that bit. And I am. I've been waiting a really long time to write it. And it's going to be really good. Jonathan Hickman, nothing short of humble. <laughs> Yo, whatever. If you know you're good. <laughs> as long as he delivers, I'll let him, he can talk, talk himself up all he wants. So, Don't give a fuck. <laughs> that's another question. When you see that group, you'll be like, oh, you're doing that bit. So what do you think that means? Uh, Deadpool's coming back. Yeah, it must be Deadpool, right? Has to be. <sighs> yeah. Speak on that. Cable and Deadpool? I don't know about... Uh, well, it could be... In New Mutants? Well, Fucking there don't was that, know. They're not new. There was that point... Deadpool's not even a mutant. There was that point in the 90s, That's where he appeared, though. though. Yeah, where he, he was squatted up with them, and there was, what's her name, the Scottish... Moira McTaggart? Yeah, but what's her name? Moira McTaggart. Oh, that's he's Irish. Irish, right? Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it, it could. That could be. That could make sense. I don't know. All right, we'll see. The Hellions. Hmm. So the first three wait, books. Wait, 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 wait. Of- I got it. It's a joke answer. But what if it's just the 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 original like kid X Men, and they're just calling them the new X Men because it's the most mm-hmm. ironic. Wow. Or the new mutants. I'm glad I got interrupted for that one. <laughs> uh, so the first, I'm glad he prefaced it as a joke. <laughs> the first three books will be out in October. New Mutants is November. And then the next title that I'm about to talk about is also November. This is called Fallen Angels. And it's written by our boy, Brian Edward Hill. Hey. What up? Uh, with interiors being done by a name that's going to be very hard to pronounce. Uh, Simon. <laughs> that's Simon to you? Yeah. All right. Simon Kudransky uh, with covers by Ashley Witter. So we don't know a ton about this. However, we know that uh, X-23 will be in it. Cable will be in it. And Psylocke will be in it as well. But it's not Betsy Braddock because Betsy is in Captain Britain. Excalibur and is now Captain Britain. This is actually Quanon, the the... So oh, Psylocke's whoa. a weird character. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't realize this. So Psylocke is actually Betsy Braddock in Quanon's body. Yep. Yes. And repeat that. This is some X bullshit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is X bullshit. <laughs> okay, so Psylocke right. is the body of a woman named Quanon. Okay. With Psylocke's brain implanted in her. Betsy Braddock. Betsy Braddock. Uh, b- b- with Bet. Yeah, Betsy Braddock. Okay. So Psylocke has 
is one body that has had two different consciousnesses, basically. Got it. And the Betsy Braddock consciousness is now, I guess, in her own body and is now going to be Captain Britain. Marco's yes. In Excalibur. Yes. And then now the original person whose body it is, whose brain was just, I don't know, for, you know, whatever, she's back. Marco's gone. Oh, crap. I didn't realize I was explaining it to no one. Yeah, exactly. Didn't see him drop out. Uh, Wasn't Hermine and Betsy's body? Didn't they switch? No, because the controversy is that Betsy is British. Yeah, I know. And Quanon is Japanese. Yeah. So... They took the they they basically took away Quanon's identity to make her, you know, a British woman, even though she's present she's presenting herself as Asian because that's how she looks. Why didn't they just like? Why didn't they just have her be a Asian woman who was British? If they do a movie, it's, that's probably what they'll do. It's a lot more convoluted than that, though. I don't remember what the context of it was. Like, I know that weird bullshit story, but I like, how did it happen? What was the reasoning behind it? I don't remember. I mean, I, I don't think I ever knew. No, I knew at some point. Uh, so, did you get all that, Marco? No, but Does we, we can move on. It, okay. it, it literally, it literally pauses as, as it goes. So, it's the body of an of a Japanese woman, basically. Yeah. Okay. So, Brian Edward Hill has talked a lot. He's engaged a lot with the audience about this issue. Because there are a lot of people who, obviously, like I said, it's a a controversy. There are a lot of people who are upset and have been upset. I don't know how they could have kept this torch lit for this long. But they're upset that Quanon is not uh, essentially used in the Marvel Universe. And so, they've been asking how... Brian plans to handle it, and he's been on Twitter very vocal about the fact that he's aware of how important this is, and that he plans to fully address the situation with Quanon and how how she must be affected by the fact that her body has been in use for all this time and she hasn't been in by a white person. So. Can you imagine the privilege that she put herself through that she probably was not allotted? Well, the thing is that Betsy is in the body of an Asian right. person. So you could also argue that Betsy's not experiencing the privileges that she should be able to experience. Yes. Is that not <laughs> what I said? No, you said the opposite. No. Did yeah. I? <laughs> yeah. Oh. You're like, she's white, so she was getting all these privileges. No, I said she, she wasn't. Have it. She, that she was not allotted but you said that she, because yeah, she's you, in the body. It's fine. <laughs> we all we all know what we're trying to say and what was said. Racism, move, move on. Yes. Wait, Pete. All right. Can you explain this to us, please? Get out of my fucking house, Phil. I could have just kicked you off the episode. I let you. I let you come over here and use my microphones. It's like I didn't. Anyway. <laughs> so the last the last title announced is X Force, and this one's written by Benjamin Percy with the art by Joshua Cesora. And the cover by Dustin Weaver. So, uh, this team's going to include characters like Jean Grey, Beast, Sage, Wolverine, Kid Omega, and Domino. Now, again, kind of a an interesting team. Um, Jean Grey and Wolverine both appearing on two teams. 
Beast's only team is an X Force team. Weird. That's a weird one. Uh yeah, this is this is a little bit odd. Pete's in this book. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, isn't isn't Quentin Choir only like a teenager too? Yeah. That's like weird too, isn't it? That he's on like a because he's on like a black ops team. I guess it's not unheard of to have a younger character on X Force, but I feel like it's usually older mutants, isn't it? Well, uh, most recently, what comes to mind is X twenty three. But that's true. Quentin is 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 a damaged person. He's kind of a like a dark character like in the a Joker way. From Suicide oh, Squad. Oh God, f off. <laughs> um. <laughs> so Hickman said that we have a whole bunch of Wave two books. Or is that wave three that we're going to talk about not too far away from now? So these are the ones that we've got for now. Um, I really, I really like this lineup overall. I have some questions, but uh, I think some solid creative teams on the whole, and a bunch of characters that I am more than excited to see. One queer omission. Who's that? Where's my dude Nightcrawler? Great point. Is he still dead? Nope. No, right? They brought the regular one back. Yep. Don't worry. Sean will explain the last 10 years of X-Men to us later. Okay, good. <laughs> in any event, I'm really excited for this. I'm so glad that the X-Men are finally back in the fold in a real way. It's amazing what they do when uh, they promote them. Yeah. So just a, a, another quick note uh, of the Jonathan Hickman variety. Uh, he was asked what else he wants to accomplish in comics, and he had the following to say. Everything else is probably at DC. I was offered the opportunity to go over there, but the market shifted underneath everyone when Axel left Marvel, Axel Alonso, and Bendis jumped to DC. So the president of Marvel called me up and asked what it takes to come back. (laughs) Yeah, that tracks. That tracks big time. (laughs) And he's like, give me the keys to the X-Men, bitch. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, I think it was last summer. There were sightings of Jonathan Hickman and uh, Jim Lee together. They had lunch and things of that nature. And everyone thought, oh, well, this obviously means that Jonathan Hickman is jumping ship. And so now, with all of that in hindsight, we can understand that he was. But that things changed and he decided to stay at Marvel I think he's doing them a favor, to be honest. I mean, I, I know I understand that he's wanted to do this for his whole life, is write X Men. This is this is one of his big ambitions. But I think they, if without him, they have no big star writer. Yeah, that's right the thing. Um, we talked about this before, but when Bendis jumped ship to DC, there was a clear void of talent, and DC has all these major writers on all their big character books. Um, if you're Marvel, you probably were like, "Here's a blank check." Write your number. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, and then again, like giving him the keys to something that he's been wanting to do for a long time, like, you know, seems like it lined up in exactly the right way to keep him. I'm so excited to see what Hickman does at DC. Yeah, so apparently he has a multi year contract for the mm-hmm. X Men stuff. I can wait. So <laughs> we'll be it's just interesting that he's locked down. To the X Men corner of the world for all that time, will they not get him for some kind of event? I feel like whatever the next big summer blockbuster is next year, you want Hickman writing it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what they're going to do. If you can, but I, 
who knows, right? Like, it could be the thing where he just isn't interested in doing that. And they're like, like you said, if he's doing them a favor and they're really, really like kind of just letting him do what he wants to do and he wants to focus on rebuilding the X-Men brand, like, that's not a bad thing for them either right now. Because you look at where Marvel's at and I feel like the X-Men are the perfect solution to a lot of the problems that Marvel's had over the last couple of years because there's obviously the angle that, like Phil said, you promote them a little bit and there's clear hype. The X-Men brand, I would argue, aside from Spider-Man, who obviously is like their most popular singular character, the X-Men is probably Marvel's most valuable brand because it's hugely popular and there are several characters that are like major leading marquee names. So I, I I think that it makes sense, right? Because where we're at now, Marvel has the rights back. It's the perfect time to reintroduce the characters and bring them to the big screen and put them back in games and all this stuff. Like there's an increased attention around the X-Men right at the same time that we're at like peak 90s nostalgia. And what was their biggest property in the 90s? Nice. It was the X-Men. And the X-Men also play like super well into what Marvel's been doing over the last couple of years of wanting to introduce like new, younger, more diverse heroes, because that's kind of always been where those characters existed historically at Marvel is like the X-Men, you know, like from a fairly early period in their history have been like a international organization that has people from all over the world and all these different religions and all this stuff. And it's like, there really is kind of an X-Men character that represents whoever is out there and like it it's it it just makes sense right now i think to to bring the 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 whole brand back in a big way and if you have the biggest writer on your roster anchoring it there's a really good chance it's going to be successful I, I can't stress this enough i'm so excited for this like this is like the equivalent to me when grant morrison took over x-men when he did new x-men yeah um Hickman's just one of those guys, that level of talent. There's so much there. I'm so intrigued by what this multi-year deal looks like. And honestly, I think there will be big events. But as Infinity proved with the Avengers, this is a guy who can actually write big events. Mm -hmm. So I'm okay with it. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, shit, right? Maybe this will be the first time the X-Men take center stage in an event again since, like, what? Avengers vs. X-Men? That's that's exactly (laughs) what I was thinking. Like, if he's going to take control of this corner... He's and they're they're obviously going to have some kind of event. He's going to make them center stage because I can imagine he also wants to make the he also would want to have an X Men event that encompasses the whole Marvel universe as well. Like that has to be to some extent a creative goal, like to be able to play with all those toys and be able to guide your own narrative. You you know what Hickman kind of gets Marvel to, at least to me. Hickman kind of gets Marvel in a way Grant gets DC. He's able to play with all these figures in a sandbox and he gets it. It gets these characters, I think, at kind of a fundamental level. So he's able to kind of elevate them to interesting places and say something that's meaningful in a narrative perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think you need to look any further than what he did with the Fantastic Four for years um, to say that. Yeah, exactly. He clearly gets it, you know, and I, I, I think that's a really apt comparison. Um, and I think, like... I know that was a book that got me to care about characters I had historically not been interested in because of the quality of its writing. And 
you know, the fact that now he's doing it with, again, what I would argue is probably their most valuable brand, their most valuable IP. I think it's a recipe for success that like Marvel is actually poised to capitalize on right now because they do own the X-Men across the board again. It's, it's crazy that he hasn't done Spider-Man. Yeah, it's it's especially crazy he hasn't done like a meaningful Spider-Man run like that, yeah. considering how prevalent he was featured in the Future Foundation stuff, and it was great. Yeah, like he gets the voice of that character really well too, and I I don't know. I guess maybe he just told everything he wanted to do with Spider-Man in in that space. What do you think of these hot takes, Sean? Spider-Man doesn't strike me as a Hickman character. Uh, Hickman seems to prefer the more like out there. You know, kind of science, real science fiction, weird groups. Um, Hickman rarely misses. And I think it's another one of those things that's just understated about him where he really has a great track record. The only, I used to have a worry about him years ago because I was a fan of his before he blew up with uh, Secret Warriors. I love that Mm. book and I swear by it, but it didn't end well. It ended badly oh, the scott steiner thing yeah yes yes exactly then he had he was on uh oh shoot it was ultimates it wasn't it wasn't ultimates one or two obviously and it wasn't ultimates three it was like something else but it was the ultimates Shit, and i remember that was i'll look at yeah was it the galactus book galactus no. i think it I, just keep going I'll, no. I'll figure it out he he introduced Z- Zorn and Zorn, uh, you know, in in the Ultimate World, the Ultimate World, and um, it a- again another story was set up to be something so epic. It was amazing. Yeah, what is it? He did. <laughs> it was when they did the rebrand after Ultimatum. He did Ultimate Comics, the Ultimates. Got it. Yeah. It ended badly. It it ended badly. So I had that perspective on him, but since then. He's been hitting. He's probably matured as a writer. Well, I mean, yeah, that was like quite a few years ago now. You got to think, right? Like that was like. Oh, of course. I'm just pointing it out. Yeah, right. For sure. Um, I'd be really interested to see like a really science fiction take on Superman from him. But that's beside the point. Um, Have you guys seen Matthew Rosenberg on Twitter being very defensive about his run in light of Hickman? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. People have been coming at him. Yeah. And he doesn't deserve that. Cool. It's it because look, his run did a lot of things people didn't like. He killed off a lot of character, like a lot. He killed a lot of people. Um, and there was the whole thing about uh, Wolf's Bane, I believe it was, how she was murdered, and uh, people felt that it was an allegory for trans people being killed, and the word trap was used, and. People took that very offensively, and they've been coming for this guy. And it's like, why? He was tasked with doing a job. He did the job. Was this run good for you? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's a great writer. Yeah. So he he's taken a big hit, and he's the biggest loser out of this whole swath of announcements because his name is not on any of these titles. Yeah, yeah it's really unfortunate. It, and he's getting dunked on. Do you feel like... This is kind of the equivalent of the whole Tom King Batman thing. No, not at all. Because the diff, the big difference is a Matthew Rosenberg is I would say a rising star, whereas I think Tom King is a superstar. Okay. 
And then the other big difference is that Matthew Rosenberg is a part of the X-Men group. And the X-Men notoriously over the last few years has been a, a, a group of titles that have been run by committee. So they already knew Jonathan was coming in. They knew they had to blow it up and leave things in a certain place. And they did what they were asked to do. Yeah, I, I always think it's kind of like shitty when people get like when he he's getting dragged for for the directions that this book went and how many of those were things that he didn't even that he wouldn't have done if he was given the keys in the same way that Hickman's been given the keys, right? Like I think that's a thing that people don't really understand. The idea of the fact that like there are a lot of books that get made by committee and not everybody has the creative freedom that somebody with Hickman's status does. So it's like there could be a lot of choices that were made in Rosenberg's run that he doesn't like, but you know, he's got it. Like you said, he was contracted to do a job and he did the job, you know? And for you, right. you enjoyed the run for what it was, even if it, you know, the reset button's about to get in anyway, who gives a shit? It, it, this is okay. So this is the last thing I have to say. Then we'll move on. His run basically was, okay, I know that when Hickman comes, nothing else matters. Right. So, I'm going to throw everything out the window and just do something crazy, right? And people were upset. He killed too many characters. He killed too many LGBT characters. He killed too many people of color. Okay, well, guess what? The X-Men are super diverse. There's a lot of them, and they had to die. He killed a lot of white people, too. It don't matter. They all died. That was the point of the story, yeah. that it was the end times. It was, the, it was supposed to be the equivalent of what if this was the last X-Men story? Oh, interesting. What if everything went to hell? That's what the story is. I, and I will say, this doesn't disprove what you said, Pete, but on Twitter, he's very much st stood by all his decisions in that book. As he Which, should. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, I, I didn't mean that to say that, like, he fucking hates the run or something, but it's like, you don't know how many of those things were things that he did or that were made editorial mandates that then he then executed on, whether he stands by the quality of it or not. You know, it's that, like... It, all of the blame, right, if there isn't something that you don't like, doesn't necessarily sit on Matthew Rosenberg's shoulders. And even if it does, it's like, man, like, give the guy a fucking break. You know, think about the context in which this book was made and, you know, like, try to appreciate it for what it was. Yeah. We're going to jump into covering the Hall H Madness from Marvel's panel at San Diego Comic-Con on Saturday night. This was wild. Guys, Buck wild. Uh, they, yeah, they dropped all of Phase Four right on the table. They just laid it out like here. Have a look at this. They're just like, listen, we both know you're gonna pay for it, you fucking nerds. Here it is. Much like David Lindelof, they whipped it out. All the cards nice. on the table, and every one of the cards has a dick on it. Reptilian dick. They they did whip it out, but <laughs> instead of uh, recoiling in disgust, uh, <laughs> people were enthusiastically uh, admiring. What was presented? Yeah, God. we want to see that. And uh, <laughs> desperate for more. So uh, you guys are thirsty. No, um, I mean Marco is, but that's besides the point. All right. So it was a it was a pretty awesome affair. Um, Kevin Feige led the charge. He came out, and you know uh, they showed a whole thing about ev you know everything that's come before and. You know, very cool montage. And uh, 
I don't know if you guys know this, but Jessica Chobot was was there. She was the moderator. Yeah. I was like, oh snap! I haven't seen you in a while. Um, I miss I miss seeing her on uh, G four. Yeah, and then IGN. She was from G. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so Kevin Feige opted to not talk about the past too much and focus on the future. And the future is eternal. They announced the Eternals. Uh, coming out November 6, 2020. Now, obviously, we already know that The Eternals is coming out. Anyone who listens to this podcast, if you um, you know, do your own research or whatever, we already knew about this movie. But um, yeah, we're getting we're getting The Eternals. Uh, they had the cast there. Uh, so Richard Madden, uh, Kumal Nijani, uh, Lauren, uh, Lauren Ridloff. Brian Tyree Henry, Salma Hayek, Leas McHugh, Don Lee, and Angelina Jolie. Right? Like, what a cast. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is the most, like, already famous people that have ever been in a Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, just unbelievable. Uh, I, but I, I got to say, though, I'm not excited for that movie. No. Why? Nope. Um, I don't have a connection to the Eternals, and it very much feels like the movie that should be there is X-Men. Like, if they had the rights to the X-Men already, that's just what would have happened. And so, uh, it's, it's like an Inhuman scenario, where the Inhumans felt like the stand-ins for the X-Men, so no one cared about the Inhumans. Because... They were representing the characters that people really wanted to see. And I feel similarly about this. I think this is one of two of these movies that I have a passing interest in. Uh, just because it's unfamiliar. I'm kind of into the, you know, th- this is territory not trotted. Uh, Camille Nanjiani's great. Yep. It, it, I, I'm, in, I'm intrigued. Yeah, for me, I'm actually more interested in this because I don't have any attachment to the property. Because I feel like you could have a similar success that we saw with Guardians, you know, where it was like, oh, cool, like, I don't really care about this. How are they going to pull that off? And then it comes out and it's something like refreshing, you know, because it is different and it's something that I'm not, I don't have a bunch of like baggage going into it. So um, I'm, a- I'm actually looking forward to this one. Yeah, I'm I'm somewhere where Pete is. Like I don't have any connection to it. I know it deals with the the space portion of the Marvel universe, which I'm excited about. So those two pieces alone, just yeah, I'm gonna go uh, check it out. Yeah. Um. So we don't know much about it. Uh. Unfortunately, there's just not a lot of information. We know the casts. Uh, we know who they are playing. Um, but outside of that, we don't know much. We know it's being directed by Chloe Zhao, and we know it'll be out November 6, 2020. So, um, and it's being written by Matthew and Ryan Furpo. I don't know what they've done before. I'm not familiar with them. Man, it's too soon. Um, I'm so, like, the Marvel burnout's real. I was burned out after Endgame. <laughs> you, dude, you're in a league of your own. If you need more than a year, because it's, 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 it's already going to be uh, like a year and six months. If you need more than that, I need like then... three. <laughs> yep, that was never gonna happen, man. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm completely aware. I'm speaking at a personal level. 
right. Uh, all right. So moving on, we also got the announcement of Black Widow. Uh, so it's 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 official. After she's dead. Uh, after she did. After she's dead. Um, we the only things we really know are that Taskmaster's in it. Interesting. And that that got spoiled because there was uh, set photos that mm-hmm. that show a, a very much Taskmaster looking character uh, appearing. So. Uh, we know that, and we also know that Yelena Belova will be in the movie, and she'll be played by Florence Pug or Pug, something like that. Pew? Pew? Probably Pew. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, David Arbor's in it, too. Yes. Oh, is he? Yeah, from Hellboy, yep. the only thing people know him from. <laughs> His best role, <laughs> it's the only honestly. thing he's ever done. Yeah. So, any thoughts about this? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, no, they're not really changed. From how I felt about it always, where it's like a Black Widow movie makes sense. You can see how it slots in. Like it can, there, there's room there for something different for it to be more of a spy thriller. Like we got, you know, more similar to like Winter Soldier or something like that. Taskmaster is a cool villain. Um, I like ScarJo as Black Widow, so it's you know we'll see. Like I, I think the there's definitely um, there's enough good ingredients there to add up to something worthwhile. I think it's if it's going to be more than worthwhile is the question, right? Like, is it capable of being something like, is it going to be another good Marvel movie or is, is it capable of being more than that? And I, I don't know that it is, but I'm willing to give it a shot. This is the one I'm least interested in, I guess. Cause one, yes. it feels like it's five years too late. Yep. They chose the second least charismatic of the core MCU characters to make a movie around. Not that I just like Scarlett Johansson, but I don't really care about her black widow or black widow in these movies um you know the like the concept of a spy thriller movie could be good and the the movie also could be good but on presentation alone i i don't care Yeah, yeah if there was one movie that i was if i had to cut one of these that would be the one yeah i'm 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 where phil's at i'm not this didn't spark anything for me. Uh, I saw it. I was like, okay, actually, probably not gonna watch that one. Or <laughs> probably don't want to. Like, you will. It, I will, but to, unfortunately, but it, they killed her off, so I, I know that, and I don't care enough about the character for me to want to go back and explore her backstory because I know she doesn't affect, or maybe she won't affect whatever happens moving forward. But. Yeah, it's it's just not it's not there for me, and uh, I don't think that it's needed to tell. It's needed in order to tell this Phase Four story, maybe. Right. Um. Other than that, yeah, there's no interest. It's her adventures in the Soul Stone. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I I think I think Phil's comment that it feels five years too late is the thing that sticks out to me the most. How about you, Sean? Uh, I don't care about a Black Widow movie anymore. I really never did because and it has nothing to do with Scarlett Johansson or Black Widow as a character. It's literally just when you when you look at what the Marvel Universe is and how those movies are, I don't feel that a Black Widow movie makes sense in this world. Because in the comics, the Black Widow solo series that I enjoy are very dark and they explore aspects of her character that the films have only kind of glanced at. 
And when every single movie has to be funny and has to be, you know, fluffy and whatnot, I mean, they're not all fluffy, but when a majority of them are, um, especially in the past, I never trusted that they would be able to do a Black Widow movie that feels the way I think a Widow movie should feel like. So knowing that they're introducing Yelena Belova, that gives me uh, some hope. Knowing that they're introducing Taskmaster, even though he seems like a very strange villain for Black Widow to be fighting because of how powerful he can be. Um, I just don't know if this is the movie for me. It, and go ahead. She's like a character that Chris Early would fit really well in like the Netflix Daredevil series because that's like. A big thing in the 80s is what she was in Frank Miller's Daredevil run because Matt and, and Natalia dated and stuff. And obviously she's not, you know, just a girlfriend or whatever, but, like, that's the kind of environment she fits in. She Street should have, like, stuff. an Electro-type story. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think... I don't think she can only be someone's partner. No, I'm not saying that. No, he, say, he said that he doesn't feel that way, but, like, that she's more at home in that kind of, like, street-level... Because she's not a superhero, you know. Yeah, but why? Why does? What is that? How does that prevent her from having a movie? I guess. Or are you just saying that she makes more sense on TV? No, 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 not at all. I'm, I'm, I was complimenting your point about the tone. I'm saying that she benefits from that kind of Netflix daredevil tone. Yeah, got it. Yeah, the okay. darker, yep. more, you know, grittier. Yeah, sure. Yes, I agree. Right, like none yeah. of none of the MCU movies are gonna deal with a superhero breaking up like a sex trafficking ring like Daredevil did, right? Like it's just not gonna happen. No. And I, I think like to your point, that's really where Black Widow shines is in the muck. She's a murderer. Yeah, she's a bad motherfucker. Like <laughs> you know, like she's way more aligned with like a uh a, a punisher than like a cap right like she's way more like a she's a fucking contract killer like who works for the government you know yeah that's where i'm at so next on the slate we've got uh falcon and winter soldier this is a show that we've talked about already we've talked about and, and again everything on this list we talked about yeah the 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 surprises uh are a little later there's two yeah. surprises but, <laughs> what was cool about this was the fact that during the panel where they're just kind of chatting it up about what the show would be, you know, in va- very vague uh, terms, uh, footage started to play uh, on the screen. And uh, this is the description from comicbook.com. The brainwashing from Civil War plays Baron Zemo sits down. That doesn't work anymore, does it? I can't imagine what you all must be thinking. Villain seizes control of the panel, and you must be expecting some act of violence, but that's not what this is. Gentlemen, I'll be seeing you very soon. He puts on the purple mask. Daniel Brohl is back as Baron Zemo. Yo, so I, I feel like when we first talked about this this series, I was like, I could see the potential here because they had fun, like, buddy cop energy or whatever. But I wasn't, like, super stoked on either of these shows. That Zemo shot, I was like, all right, they got me. That's cool. Yeah, and we knew he would be on the show, and we had speculated that he might go full Zemo because what more do you do, right? Um, But I love this aspect of the shows, how they're allowing a character who you might not... Maybe bringing a villain back 
who's not, you know, Loki or Thanos isn't the best thing to do for a film. But on a television show, that's where you can give a character like Zemo more time and expand his story and make him a recurring villain for characters who don't have villains of their own. As opposed to, you know, using someone we've not seen before. I love this idea. I, what was the actor's name again? Daniel Brohl. I loved him as Zemo. So, like, I'm, I'm super stoked to see him back. And like, yeah. go, and like you said, really going full Zemo, putting on the mask and everything. It's like, hell yeah, man. I, that, that definitely got me way more interested in this show than I was before. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, wait, where do we see him before? He was in Civil War. He was the main, like, he was the guy who, who set up, like, the conflict between oh, Tony oh, and Cap. Oh. It was okay. like his family got killed in the, uh, one of the um, Avengers events that, you know, the... The Ultron movie. Yeah. Um, frankly, I feel this way about all the Disney Plus shows. Um, it's a little hard harder to sell me on TV because it's a bigger investment. Instead of watching an hour and a half to two and a half hour movie, you know, you're watching eight hours plus content. And that's yeah. that's a harder sell for me because I have limited time in general. And I need to see more before I have really sink any interest in any of these. Um, I, honestly, I would have rather seen a Falcon Cat movie than a show with Bucky. That for me, that's I'd rather have seen that. I I hear that. Uh, I feel like that movie might have trouble. Yeah. See, I would feel I would agree, but I think I don't know that I would fail or like not not do well. But I think because there is so much of a draw there, it's a natural way for Disney to try to get you to get Disney Plus. Like that because it's the I first one. Right, it's the first one. We, we it's the one the, the most recent in memory, and like it's a duo that we that we all enjoy. I feel like it's also probably a thing that like you don't want to personally anyway. Right, I I don't think that you want Phase Four to look like it's in the shadow of the Infinity Saga, and I think when you have the major emotional beats of Infinity War, um, or I'm sorry, Endgame, um, being kind of the like death and then writing out of Iron Man and and Cap uh respectively that like I don't know that you want to like have a another Captain America movie where it's like and here's Captain America's two friends you know like I think this feels like a more natural evolution for those characters and to Sean's point gives them an opportunity to flesh them and other characters that are already established like Zemo in a way that is natural and doesn't you know like limit them from establishing new franchises in phase four that will have more longevity than like continuing to go back to the well of Captain America. Here's a question. And you can stop me if this is pushing too far ahead because it pertains to another movie on a slate that we haven't talked about. Shoot. Okay. So another one of these movies that's coming out is the Thor love and war. Is that what thunder love and thunder Thunder. and war love, love and thunder, Thunder. Thunder. which has, Natalie Portman as the titular yeah. Thor instead of Chris Hemsworth, who's going to be doing Guardian stuff or whatever. Um, that's a legacy character in the way that you know Bucky and and Falcon are, but that's getting a movie. And obviously, Natalie Portman is a major drawing actress. Do you think that's the difference here? I I think on some level, like 
Of course. Obviously, the two of these guys are, you know, Anthony Mackie and um, what's his name? Exactly. Sebastian, Sebastian Stan. Stan. Right, but right, exactly. That's that's the point, right? Phil is like they're both great actors. They both are known for playing these characters and doing a good job with them. But I don't think that they're household names in the way that Natalie Portman is. And Natalie Portman as female Thor is, I think, a bigger draw and is like going to make more headlines than there's a Captain America movie and you know the guy that we saw become Captain America is Captain America. Well, there's also a little bit of mis- misinformation there. She's not the only Thor in that movie. Chris Hemsworth is in the oh, movie, okay. and he is Thor. Oh, so, I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. So he's the main character. Still. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I, I honestly feel like the way that they presented that whole thing was messed up. So I guess we, unless anyone has more thoughts about Cap and Falcon, we can just jump, or Cap and Winter Soldier, we can just jump into yeah, that. Yeah, let's, let's jump. Let's jump. Um, all right. Is it the next um, one? No, it's not. The next no, but one. Who cares? Oh, we're just so, jumping around. So, uh, Thor: Love and Thunder, uh, Taika's back, and uh, we're getting this. Oh, by the way, I sh- I do want to say uh, regarding uh, uh, what's it called? Cap, uh, Falcon, and Falcon. Thank you, Falcon and Winter Soldier. That's spring twenty twenty. Okay, so uh, with Thor, that's uh, November fifth, twenty twenty one, and we've got Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. Who are going to be in it. And Natalie Portman, as stated, will be the Mighty Thor. Now, we don't know much about the movie other than what I just said. Uh, They also did mention that Valkyrie is going to be by. Yeah, they confirmed that. uh, Which, again, is just such a weird way to handle that. I I don't know. Maybe it's not for me and i'm not the target of that kind of announcement but i hear that and it sounds like guys guess what you need to come see this movie because you're gonna get to see tessa thompson kiss a girl uh and i want to see that but i don't want that to be like the marketing of it i just want them to just tell the story and let that be organically present yeah it's it's tough because i feel like i feel like there's two sides to it Right. I think that you're definitely right that on some level, it's just like you're not really the target person for that announcement. It is that like if you're someone who's, you know, in the LGBT community and you were turned off by the fact that like they were going to make her like explicitly queer in the last movie and then they didn't. And now they're actually going to. And like to you, maybe that like makes you feel like you were heard and like you're going to get to see that representation that you want to see. And for anybody who hears that announcement and gets excited about it. Awesome. Like, God bless, you know, like that's what it's about. Um, but I think I, I agree with you, Sean, where it reminds me of a conversation we had a few months ago where it just feels like them like patting themselves on the back for like doing, for being like progressive when they also had the opportunity, like we said, right? Like how long ago to like have one of these movies star a woman, you know? And like the fact that you're doing it like this late in the game, it like doesn't feel like a thing that you like are really like, it doesn't feel worthy of praise, let alone to be something that you're like hanging your hat on is like, look how great we are for doing this and having representation. Well, this is the thing. And we're all suckers at the end of, not me. There, there are there are people we are in this all suckers world except me, sir. Yeah, there are people in this world who 
see that and they go, oh my God, Marvel, thank you. No, it's not, it's not something to praise. Yeah. It's 2019. You should expect it's it. not 1975 or 1935. It's just how it's supposed to be. I'm not praising Marvel for Black Panther. I'm not. I'm, pr- I'm praising the cast and the crew for doing something amazing and making a film that did what it did, that was as successful as it was. But Marvel it has Black Panther. They want to use that character to make money. They didn't do that for me. The same way Tessa Thompson is not buying that movie for buy people. She's buy because they want your cash. So accept it, but it doesn't need to come with the praise and you shouldn't fall for that crap. So that's my thinking. And, and, it, and it, it incenses me only because it feels like pandering. Yeah, I, and it's like yeah. uh, it's like I, I said it a couple episodes ago, right? It's like it's like woke vertising, yep. you know, like yes. it's like very much like getting a headline out of the fact that you're doing this thing that you should just be doing, not doing and being like, don't we deserve a gold star for it? Hey, guys. So um, I was kind of looking through the news. Uh, sorry, I wasn't paying attention. But did you guys know that? Um, what a bitch. Did you guys know that Valkyrie's going to be LGBT? I hate you. Yo, crazy, huh? <laughs> You're a funny guy. Uh, so, does anyone have any thoughts about uh, Natalie Portman being Thor? Yeah, actually, a couple thoughts. Oh, uh, I my my only question on that was just because I'm not familiar with that portion of Thor history. I know what Thor happens. History. Yeah, recent and it, it, like the past, like what, like five Three, years, four years. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think it was yeah. 2013 or 14 when that run started. Okay. Uh, the only thing that I know is the same thing that I know about the movie is that Natalie Portman also becomes Thor in, in the comics. So it's not Natalie Portman; it's actually Natalie Portman. And, Did I say Natalie? Uh, yes. Oh yeah. uh, man, Natalie what a dumbass! Portman is actually not in the comics. Oh no! Uh, no. Damn. Uh, it's happening? uh, you know, an artist rendering of a woman. You know, looks different every issue. Is this a bit? What's happening right now? <laughs> I'm just letting Marco know what okay, it is. Okay, so to answer your question, actually, Sean, because apparently you and I are the only professionals on this show. Wait, no, he had a question. Yeah, oh, did he? Okay, I, I got lost yeah. in whatever the fuck that was. Let him do his thing. His, that was the his, question. Yeah, what question his are actual answer? question was, what is the history yeah. there? And so the answer Sorry. is yes. that Jane, Jane Foster, who is the character that Natalie Portman plays, uh, develops cancer and Thor having no way to save her obviously feels extremely guilty about that and this is part of a process of his life devolving and in Original Sin on the moon Nick Fury tells Thor something that makes him unworthy of being Thor and so he has to like have a different life he goes down a different path trying to redeem himself uh but the hammer still needs a master. And so it seeks out Jane Foster, who it feels is worthy of being Thor. And as a result of that, she's now Thor. And so when she's Thor, I don't know if you're familiar with Donald Blake at all. Do you know who Donald Blake is? Nope. Ooh. Okay. Donald Blake was Thor's like human version, kind of. Like the Thor. Oh, oh the the, yeah. the doctor or whatever he was. Yes. Like the same yes. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, okay. exactly. And so that's the relationship between Jane Foster and and Thor. So when she has the hammer, she becomes Thor. Her body changes, her hair color changes, all that changes. And he cures her cancer? 
Uh, not exactly. When she's Thor. Oh yeah. shit! But when she, and so so wasn't the thing when she so goes the, back to Jane though? It's like worse because she was Thor or something. Uh, kind of. She's not having treatment. Okay. She's not like you. You know, yeah. like she's in Jane Foster is in treatment for for cancer, but it's fatal, and she's you know Thor. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, she essentially doesn't want to escape her fate. Yeah. In the in the comics, so it's it's a really fun story, all that jazz. I recommend everybody go read it. But that's the that's. Is the this gist. also Jason Aaron? Yes. Yeah. To answer your question uh, about how do I feel about Natalie Portman Thor, there's a few thoughts. Uh, one, I'm really interested in the and the story idea. So one thing that made the original Thor movie so interesting is that um. Thor is a fish out of water. And that's like the interesting narrative aspect of the first Thor. And from there on out, it's him trying to figure out how to fulfill his hero's destiny of being this mythological character and all that stuff. And that comes to a head in Endgame. It's really good. Uh, here, I'm really interested in seeing how this character is, explores her new powers. As Assuming she has cancer. That might not happen. But if it's anything, you know loyal to the source material which a lot of marvel movies are i'm really interested in that premise but natalie portman was a really weak part of the first two thor movies and in terms of builds she's not built like a wrestler or ronda rousey as you would imagine like a warrior is she's five foot three and very petite uh i'm really curious how they're gonna what they're gonna do to make her look like a woman thor yeah it it's interesting because I really like Natalie Portman. You know, I think she's a great actress and I I certainly didn't feel like she was a low point of the original Thor, but I absolutely think that she was one of the major problems with Thor 2 was that whole back and forth drama that you can go read about somewhere else about how, you know, she had gotten a director involved and they let her go and it seemed like there was bad blood with her in Marvel. And it just didn't seem like she was having fun during Thor 2. And and her performance, I think, suffered because of it. Um, the idea of her coming back, I was very interested by that. Because it was something I really didn't think we were going to see. And <laughs> as much as I'm... I, I don't really have strong feelings about um, the idea of her taking up the mantle. Just because I guess I'm just kind of confused. Like how that's going to work. Because she... Her her piece has been off the board for so long now. You know, like, Thor 2 feels like a really long time ago. And, like, I'm interested in how they're going to roll her back in. And, like, what the relationship between her and Thor is, is really like right now. And, you know, like, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's interesting. It like, broke up? Yeah, but, like, they mentioned her in Endgame. And it was, like, the first time she had come up in, like, how long, you know? And it was, like, he was, like, oh, we broke up, you know? And he was sad about it. Obviously, there's still feelings there. But it's it's weird. It's a weird development. And I think, for me, my interest in it is really going to be contingent on the execution of how they roll her back in and what the reason for her becoming Thor is. And are they going to go down the cancer route? Is it going to be something else? Like, is this something they're just doing to get her back? Or is there, like, a... Is there a story to be told here that's really meaningful for the direction we've been taking, you know, the the Thor franchise, I guess, these last few movies? And and those are questions I'm interested in getting answered. Um, so I, I would say that, like, I'm cautiously optimistic. Like, I like Taika. 
I really enjoyed what he did with Thor in Ragnarok. Um, so I want to see more of that. And if he's got a vision for how to roll Jane back in and, you know, and, and have it like land, um, I'm, I'm here for that. I yeah. think I know how they got Natalie Portman. Uh, Disney took a giant truck of money and they dumped it on her lawn. Backed it up to her front door and we're just like, here. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. money. I'm, uh, I'm somewhere where repeat is like, the only reason I'm going to go watch it is because of Taika Waititi. Like, I, I really like what he did the last round. So like, let's see what he brings to this, uh, to this movie. And outside of that, I mean, okay like I, i'm 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 gonna wait for the execution yeah. just like pete said like I'm, I'm gonna wait to see how it all unfolds yeah it could be great or it could be like the equivalent of when pepper like put on the extremist armor and it's like all right, right. All right whatever. Yeah. oh yeah yeah you know, it's like okay like and- so the way that she was brought back into the fold is that marvel uh knew what taika wanted to do with this movie and they really liked the idea, so they approached her. She was trepidatious, but they said, okay, listen, just sit down with him, speak to him, and whatever you want to do after that is up to That's you. That's cool. And so they had a conversation, and she signed on. She agreed to do it. Um, my opinion on the idea is that I really don't like it. And I'm a big, big fan of Jane Foster as Thor. My problem is that in the movie world, Thor literally just realized that why he's worthy and that he is worthy after five years of feeling like he's unworthy after the snap. So unless you're going to have her somehow become Thor in another way and you're going to explain how there can be two Thors, him becoming unworthy, if that's the route they were to go, just doesn't it's not consistent with what they've been doing she could be because they just told the story of him feeling worse yeah it feels weirdly timed in his narrative arc she could be like the beta ray bill of this there's basically two thors well they're saying she's the mighty thor and that makes me feel like it's not going to be a beta ray bill situation because beta ray has inherent powers right Mm -hmm. She doesn't. So she has to be blessed with those powers by a hammer. You know what? He's enhanced by Stormbreaker because Odin saw that he was worthy of something like that. Um, It could be something like, you know, uh, Valhalla on Earth needs a Thor. And the Thor we know is doing space stuff. So maybe Thor kind of like Odin no whatever uh maybe he gives Jane a hammer of her own I don't know yeah because I mean we had Cap and Thor like mess around with like the each other's weapons and stuff so I can imagine potentially um he keeps the was it Stormbreaker and then maybe they they remake Mjolnir yeah yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. I I definitely think that you're the 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 things that you're laying out, Sean, are why I have trepidation. And I I think like to Marco's point, like I'm confident in the creative team. And if Taika had a vision, like I I want to give him enough rope to hang himself at least, you know, because like he proved to me that he had a good voice for Thor and his cast of characters. So 
Like if he's got a vision and it's and it's good, like that's all that matters. It's certainly not something that can't work. It's just what are the weird gymnastics they're going to have to do to make it work, and are we going to accept those those choices? Right. You know. I. All right. So yeah. let let's let's move on. We've been on that subject enough. Uh, let's talk about Doctor Strange. So we've got Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which is going to be from Scott Derrickson, who's returning to write and direct a movie that will come out on May 7th, 2021. Now, this is really interesting because um, this movie is actually going to star Elizabeth Olsen as well. Oh, interesting. Oh, well, I have a hot take, Sean. Fire it off. Did not like Doctor Strange 1. Not here for this movie. <laughs> right into it. Well, hold on. Hold the phone, Marco, because oh, oh. I actually think yes. oh. you might you might you might like this movie. Okay. I'm gonna tell All you right. why. Right. So Scott Derrickson talked about how this movie is going to be the first horror based MCU movie. And that his big vision for this movie was to do a gothic horror movie. Marco, you back in? Oh, all right. You hooked me. <laughs> that was easy. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, there really isn't much more to say other than uh, Kevin Feige talked about how, although we just talked about a multiverse in Far From Home, mm-hmm. Beck was lying. That doesn't mean there isn't a multiverse, which we did discuss on this podcast. So this movie's going to probably, I would imagine reintroduce the concept because those of us who recall Doctor Strange know there definitely is a multiverse. So There's a lot of fan um, theories that this movie is going to introduce some of the Fox stuff. Yes, there's fan theories about that for sure. Now, I want to shift gears and talk about WandaVision because of the tightness of the the connective tissue of these movies. So, Doctor Strange is going to piggyback directly off of stuff that happens in WandaVision. Yeah. And WandaVision is being billed as an epic. uh, As as an epic. Um, They're they're really hyping this movie. They're saying it's a mega event. uh, And that it's unlike anything they've ever done before. That's according to Kevin Feige. Nope, you lost me. (laughs) Why? How? Because it's an event. You're such a brat. Oh my god! You're such a brat. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I'm. I'm still so confused by what Wandavision is. I thought it was a show. You no, know, it is a show. If you but... guys would let me talk, I would tell you what it's yes. about. I'm trying. They won't shut up. You just talked. Well, <laughs> uh, so, first of all, <laughs> it's Elizabeth Olsen, obviously, and Vision is coming back. Paul Bettany is coming back to play the Vision which obviously has people very confused. Uh, we've also got Tiana Paris as Monica Rambeau, of course, uh, from Captain Marvel, the young girl. She's now all grown up. Oh, oh my awesome. God. I never made that connection. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, yes. One of the older Captain Marvels. Photon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what we know is that this movie will take place in the 1950s which we've talked about on this podcast, and that Vision is coming back. Now, I have said that my theory about this movie or this television show is that it will feature Wanda altering reality to bring the Vision back and that they will have children and that those children will join the Young Avengers. Now, we already know Hawkeye's a show. Hawkeye's training Kate Bishop. Hmm. 
who is Kate Bishop. Yeah. She's Hawkeye on the Young Avengers. Ooh. I believe that this phase is setting up Phase Five, and the Avengers movie of Phase Five will be Young Avengers. Huh. That's my theory. That'd be so cool. I and that House of M is imminent with Wanda, which will introduce the X Men. Go oh, ahead. It's the opposite. Instead of no more mutants, it's more mutants. But yeah, I believe they'll reveal that Wanda's a mutant. That's cool. I like it, Sean. I like that a lot. Thanks. Like miracles, mutant. There we go. Pivot. Um, Does anyone have any thoughts about Wanda? I am just still so confused by it. Like I, I think mm. I think that your theory is the one that makes the most sense. Um, but it's still weird. It's really weird to think that it's like it's set in the fifties, but a young girl who we met in the nineties has grown up in it. So there's, oh or no, 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 misunderstanding. It, yeah, so it's not set in the fifties in the sense that it's taking place in the past. G- again, this is my no right, theory. right. It's it's not set in the fifties in the sense that it takes place in the past. It's set in the fifties in the sense that she altered reality around to her. make it the fifties. Yeah, yeah, right. Give- yeah, and I'm with you. That's just really confusing as like a concept of like what does that mean? Well, you know, like. Is it like just like a little bubble in the real world that she made? Is she changing the entire world to be? I don't know. There's implications there that are very interesting to me that I'm still confused by and I, I want to see play out. Like, because the thing that you said about about Doctor Strange, like who's to say that she doesn't like travel, take them to an to a alternate reality? Um, wow. There's kind of a Tom King's hmm. vision thing here where – she creates a 1950s reality because it's like picturesque, so yeah. she can have her dream yes. world with 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 vision, and they have kids or whatever. It's really interesting. Um, that's really curious. And another thing I was just thinking, Sean, is if they do go this Young Avengers route you're talking about, that's an easy way to do Kang the Conqueror. That's right. Yeah, which we have talked about before as like being a potential another like late later phase villain this is the announcement that i'm most excited about is one wow. uh scarlet witch was my favorite character in uh civil war she was my favorite character in infinity war and she very well may be my favorite character in all the mcu i love scarlet That's a witch hot take. so much so this show is for me you know what i was just thinking about you know who else could be a potential young avenger is Scott Lang's daughter as a... No, she, she, she is a young Avenger. As like, yeah, as yeah. the new Oscar. A stature. Oh, and, yeah. shit, yeah! Oh, my God, fuck. Yeah, dude, you're right. There's like half the team's already on the board. And this is mm-hmm. the way you get the only, Kamala Khan in. Go, yeah. The only characters from the actual Young Avengers that they're missing are Hulkling, who is a Kree Skrull. We're already right. setting that up. Oh. And... Um, Kamala... No, she's not a she's not an original member of the Young oh, Avengers. Oh, she's not? She's a champion. Nah, yeah, the young okay. yeah, the Young Avengers are, but uh, they would definitely the 2000s. Yeah. put her in, I would think. And uh gosh, the young kid, the black kid who's Captain America. He's not Captain America, but he's um, there. Um why am I blanking um, on him? I love him. Yeah, Patriot. There you Patriot, go, the Patriot. Okay. So that's the Young Avengers team. If you get if you get all those ducks in a row, and I firmly believe that that's where they're. Well, going. and like you don't need that exact roster either, right? Like you could like have Peter be on that team because he's still young. Like 
yeah. you could have like a Kamala or another character who's like maybe you know not on that original roster if you want to get some of those people on the board as well. But sure. totally, like I, I think that's a super compelling theory, Sean. I really hope you're right because I'd I'd be about that. That'd be cool. I just and thought, there, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, with, uh, this is like outside of sort of the the discussion, but like mm-hmm. with all these sort of threads and like that theory you're laying out, um, it's it's interesting to think that if they decide to go this route and continue to to extend this series and expand upon it, um, it's interesting how they're going to address the act, continue to address the actors. Considering in comics you can age people down, you can sort of rewrite stuff and, and retcon to have the same people be these same things, but you can't have that in a movie realm considering the realities of our world. Hmm. How, how do you mean? Like, like, uh, like you could have, uh, whatchamacallit, the same kind of um, Captain America, right? Year after year after year. He just, he's not affected by time in the comics. But in real life, he will be as he will be in his portrayals oh, within the, the films mean. and lots. Do so you mean that the fact that the characters like have to age? Right. Yeah. That it's a it's a restriction or constraint. Yeah. Right. Like there's only so many more years they can present Peter Parker as a teenager before yeah. that's like not viable anymore. Well, right. You get Miles. Right. Right. Yeah. You could obviously introduce Miles or something like that. But I imagine, like, I know that they said they have like there was like a story recently about how they have like five more Spider-Man movies planned or something like that, and I don't know how much truth there is to that um given what we know about the sony deal and everything but yeah i mean like obviously there's a lot of places to go like in terms of now we're getting to the whole menace thing you can put him through college you you know there's so many places that you can still go but to your point marco you can't just like put characters on ice you know like if you do the new avengers they're only going to be or the young avengers they're only going to be that for so long before it's like all right they're all in their 20s now like you know we gotta you got to do the next thing. Yeah. So, uh, on to the next one. We've got the Loki show. Uh, that's a spring 2021 show. And all we know is that it's starring Tom Hiddleston. This is the one I'm least interested in, I think. Really? Yeah. I just, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I, I am more interested in it post-Endgame because of the implications that it's the Loki that we saw escape. And everything, and, like, that opens up a lot of, like, potentially interesting character interactions and, like, wrinkles to the story. But I just, like, don't really feel like I need more Loki. Um, and I don't, like, see what that story is going to be about that's going to hook me. I'd be more interested in it if it wasn't that version of Loki. Because the Loki that was killed by Thanos had quite a bit of character yeah. growth associated with him. And this one doesn't. So, you know, there are a lot of people suggesting it could be a redemption story. And uh, it's very possible, but I just don't see why he would be in a point of looking for redemption after Avengers 1. Yeah, it's kind of weird that they're rubber banding the character that way. If they are. Any other thoughts before we move on? Don't care. All right. So we also got What If... We know this is a show that's going to be animated and it's going to just be literally what if X happened. Um, And most of the original voice actors will be back for this. Noticeably absent is Chris uh, Evans. He's going to be directing an episode, though, isn't he? 
I thought I heard that. I didn't hear that. Um, um, so I'm I'm out of the out of this world excited for this. Uh, I love what if Elseworld type stories, and I think like an animated series that explores this kind of stuff is something that's like super appealing to me. I think that could be a really fun project, just because there's no. It's what we always talk about. Like, there's no limitations. It's just a sandbox, you know? So they can go in directions that they wouldn't go in an MCU proper yeah. movie. And that is exciting. So Chris Evans' absence is already... Is Robert Downey Jr. absent? Uh, I don't remember seeing him one way or the other. They're both probably priced out. Yeah. Probably. I think Tony... Or Tony. Uh, Robert... Same difference. ...wants to step away in general... Because I read an interview where he kind of talked about how he wasn't Iron Man. Like, he's not defined by that role. So, I think he's trying to shed that skin since he's, you know, going to continue his acting career. Yeah. And he's done it for so long um, now. It's like, yeah. you know, eventually you got to hang up the cow, right? Like, <laughs> Right. So, next up is Hawkeye. That's fall 2021. We already kind of talked about it. It's going to be Kate Bishop. Uh, it's going to be likely very much based on the Matt Fraction, David Aja run yep. of Hawkeye. And um, this has a lot of people really, really hyped. Could be good. Yeah, I was, uh, I saw it and I was like, oh, that's the same logo. Oh, I like that book. I am, am here for that. I just don't love Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye. And like, I just don't, I don't know. I, I'm I'm open to it. I, I, I think this has real potential to be good if it gets the tone of that book down. Um, we'll see though. If they are making a movie with the second least charismatic Avenger and Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, they're making a TV show for the least charismatic Avenger and Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye. Don't care. All right. Uh, so the last announcement that we have to talk about is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Now, this is probably the one that there's been the most talk about overall for a couple different reasons. So number one, uh, this is going to, well, before I get into those reasons, this is February 12th, 2021. Um, and, uh, Sima Liu, Sima Liu, Sima Liu is going to be playing Shang-Chi. Uh, we also know Tony Lung will be on this and Aquafina. Who's Aquafina? I don't know. She's a rapper and a musician. Never heard of her. Gotcha. No? Yeah. I felt old when I saw that because I felt like, oh, that I'm, I should know that because that's obviously not a real name. So I should know this person, but I don't. Um, so on to the things that make this so interesting. Number one, we know that the real Mandarin is going to actually be in this movie. Meh. I... Uh, I don't understand why everyone was so upset about that plot twist in Iron Man 3. It was like the least of the problems in that movie. I don't know. Uh, I, I, this is such a weird thing. We've talked a lot about the Mandarin as a character and like how it's tough yeah. to adapt some of these characters from that era because like he's inherently you know, problematic. Like he's a, he's a racist caricature and like they want to take that and make it into something that's, you know, honoring the legacy of that being one of Iron Man's big foes without it being this really weird, gross and sensitive thing. And, 
you know, they people didn't like it when they zagged because it wasn't the real Mandarin and this, that, and the other. And now we're gonna get the real Mandarin, and that comes with its own set of problems. So it's like, it's it's this it's this is the kind of thing where I it's hard to comment on it without knowing the reality of what it's actually gonna be like. You know. So I was very angry about that Mandarin pivot in Iron Man three. And it's because, I mean, I, I don't, there's not much to say other than I'm a purist and I want the Mandarin. So now we're getting him. Now, Fu Manchu is in the comics the father of Shang-Chi. They're not going to do that in this movie. That would be crazy. Uh, I believe that instead of that, the Mandarin will play that role. He'll be the father of this guy. Uh, and he's actually a supervillain. And Shang-Chi ends up having to fight his own father. Because that's the that's the essential story of Shang Chi, anyways, from the comics. They just can't use is, Fu Manchu. Is it, so. is it much better to do the Mandarin instead of Fu Manchu? I think so. Well, you know whose opinion I really care about this on. Mm. <laughs> you know, I really gotta say, I, I Sean, what, what was it? I, I really need the opinion of the something master. Oh, 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 it's right there. The, what is it, West? The, East? East. No. Oh. The East Master, oh, the East yes. Master, yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, guys, we all know I'm the master of the East Coast. I know all about it, of course. <laughs> we yield the floor to you, East Master. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think the biggest thing I would have to say about about the East is that I, I just like controversial opinion, like New Jersey has the best pizza, you know? So, um, well, he's trying yeah, to that's where I'm going to leave it on that one, I think. He's trying to pivot. Yeah. <laughs> Much, much like the uh, Mandarin, I'm trying to pivot. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, the other thing I know people are talking about that there's controversy over is the first primary leading Asian-American actor in a Marvel movie is going to be playing a martial artist. So that's like another stereotype thing. Yeah. Um, so there's certainly that degree. Um the one thing that bothers me, and this kind of ties together with the the Valkyrie thing a little bit, is it feels a little bit like Disney is trying really hard to appeal to that really impressive Chinese market of moviegoers that's been talked about so much the last handful of years, and a movie that uh, features such a prominent, perhaps Chinese cast or Chinese-American cast, kind of, again, feels like they're more concerned with money than anything else. That's actually not a bad point. Like I, I had to consider the fact that, you know, uh, I think even for, like for Aquaman, the, the Asian markets were the, was some of the highest grossing. Like yeah. they, they know there's a market out there and there's this hunger for this. So I, I, I hadn't put those two together and actually um, we had reported on it maybe last year, DC having that initiative where they're introducing uh, like a whole Justice League out in uh, in Asia. Yep. Or, so like it's there. They know it's there. And if this is a way to tap into it, interesting. I, man, I don't know. I, I don't have an issue with uh, him being a martial artist. Like it, it just reminds me of Bruce Lee. And dude, he was a fucking badass, man. Like, you know, like it, it. If this is the, the the way that the character is portrayed, then let him be portrayed in that way. Um, cause I wish I could do martial arts. Shit. 
I, I feel like that feels like a very like damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Because like it was like when Iron Fist came out, everyone's like, why is he white? And it's like, well, because yeah. the character's white. And it's like Shang-Chi is a martial artist, you know? So like right. we're going to do a Shang-Chi movie. It's going to be a martial arts movie. And what do you want to make him not, you know, not Asian? Like would that fix the problem for you? You know, it's like, I don't know. Like or not even not even not Asian, just like he's just a dude who's doing kung fu. Yeah, it's like I I get I guess I get that narrative, but I feel like it's like look if we're making a Shang Chi movie, like that's what we got to do, and you got to just check that at the door a little bit, you know? Like he's a he's a martial artist and he's Asian. I think the counterpoint for something like that, this Devil's Advocate, is make the first Asian American lead Marvel movie not a martial artist movie. Right. Yeah. So, Which know. speaks to, a, I mean, a, a, I guess a broader problem of like how many prominent Asian superheroes are there? I don't know. I don't know. There, there aren't many. Uh, you know, in recent times we had uh, uh, Amadeus Cho as a totally awesome Hulk. But that's like a long road, I feel. Um, and then you've also got Namor, I guess. But he's kind of a villain. He's Asian? Um, I thought so. It's complicated. Is he not? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. In in any event, uh, that's a a problem and a thing we've talked about a lot. I don't have different opinions about that issue. On the movie, I mean. I think Shang-Chi is a martial artist. Let him be a martial artist in the movie. Um, The other problem that people have, and it's actually uh, the the Asian market that that has a problem with this. so in China, they've actually been talking about this problem. They, they've cried racism over this uh, issue. So um, their, their, their problem seems to be twofold. They don't understand. I'm actually just going to read the quote. This is from their version of Twitter. Uh, someone said, the Mandarin and Fu Manchu are both anti-Chinese characters. I don't understand why some fans are defending them. Are they nuts? Uh, so there's that. And then uh, in addition... Some someone said the following: naming the villain the Mandarin, a direct translation of our Chinese language, is definitely an insult to China. I'm not going to wait until Marvel names a villain as China to boycott. I will start with boycotting Shang Chi. Yeah. That's kind of what I was coming so, from. That's tough. Um, and uh, other people are upset with Tony Lung for taking the role because he's going to be playing the Mandarin. They feel that he should not take this role because of the, you know, the murky issues there. Yeah, this is this is such a this feels like we're counting chickens before they hatch, you know, like I I, I, not to dismiss any of these complaints, but like there are things that like until we see what their plan is and how they plan to portray these things and how they're planning on trying to reclaim these characters with murky histories like it's kind of tough to comment like the, i really feel like the only thing that you could have said was maybe just don't make this movie at all but you know i don't know if that's the right thing either i mean i think something we said earlier uh, in the show was we were sort of like if if somebody has a story to tell let them let them tell it like uh we we brought up uh we, we brought up strange food in the past right like you're able to tell the, the that sort of story and be able to, or you should be able to, as as an artist, if you have a story to tell within those environments, and um, also in just recently in the conversations with um, 
with Philip Sevy, who we had um, go check out our addendum interview episode. Like we, um, it, it none of these are, all these are additive stories. So it's just going to be another story with this person laying that foreground for another superhero who is Asian to to lead, right? And if that's sort of where it's going to be, I don't know that it's necessarily. Uh, I personally don't feel like it would be problematic to advance with the with this movie. People do and are and and are concerned, but I mean. This is this is a, a stepping stone that I think opens the gate for more that I think is to me more substantial than what we should be protecting or barring ourselves from. Yeah, I am I am lockstep in there with you, man. And I also think this is a tough thing, but Marvel doesn't make a Shang-Chi movie if fans aren't saying, hey, where's our representation, right? I, I don't think anyone could argue with that. Shang-Chi is not a is not a character that jumps out at you like, oh, we need to make a movie with sure. this character. I kind of disagree right? with that. I I okay. genuinely think the motivation was the Chinese market. I think it was purely financial. Sure. Oh, okay. Well, but but it but what I just said is is a financial thing. The idea is if you make a if you make a, a Black Panther, black people will come see your movie, right? If you make Shang-Chi, Asian people will come see your movie. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. So so that movie doesn't get made if there's not a call I got for you. It, okay. Right? Now, the problem is that the call was made. Marvel answered the call. Now people don't want what they're serving. Because there, there was no way to serve that market appropriately. Because the characters just don't exist for that. Um, and so I think, you know... You can have problems with it, but I don't see how you could have this many problems before you see They them. would have presumably had to take a pre-existing character and make them Asian. Yep. Yep. And then you piss off a whole other crew of people that I'm a part of. So uh, <laughs> it's a tough it's a tough situation and I don't I don't envy Marvel's position, but I don't think it will be a you big You forgot deal. another movie. So You forgot sorry? another movie. You said that was the last one. Uh, what, what did the I? The one that I'm actually most excited about, not technically a Phase Four movie. Then don't talk oh, about it. I thought Let it was a Phase show. Four oh. movie. Damn, damn it! Phil. I thought it was a Phase Four movie. Okay. I'm sorry, Sean. I'm sorry. Oof. I thought you actually forgot it too. I was just trying to. I was gonna throw it to you and let you do what you think. It's all right. Uh, so that was a wrap on Phase Four, and Kevin Feige has confirmed that those are the Phase Four projects. So, what do you guys think about Phase 4? And and we already talked about the movies in specific, so don't go into specifics. Just, what do you think about Phase 4 in comparison to everything else we've seen? How are you judging? Um, holistically? Oh. oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Marco. Um, holistically, I think it's... I, I think we had an expectation that played more into some of the um, space epic. It, it, it would take more of a space direction, and I don't yeah. think we have that here so to me a little surprise but not anything that's gonna not bring me to go see these movies necessarily um the tv shows i think will add an interesting an interesting spin because i I previously like it was only sort of mentioned that these kind of tie into each other like there was a shyness to really say that you know 
we 100% are tied into the to the movies outside of it just being like everybody knows that they are. Um, now that they're, they're strictly being like, okay, this is coming. This is phase four. If you want to know what's going on, you probably more than likely have to follow this. So I think it's an interesting play to try to draw people in this way to TV as well as the movies. Um, but content-wise, I don't have any issues with it. Like everything looks pretty pretty cool. I'm excited for a couple of these. I'm more excited for a couple and um, for some others. You know, I don't want to see. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, I um, I, I think it feels smart. I think you look at this lineup and there's a good mix of returning to familiar wells in ways that are new and and ideally fresh um, mixed with stuff that's going to be really different. Like Eternals and Shang-Chi will probably not feel like any other MCU movie just based on like what they're about and um, the like... Like the idea of like Shang Chi being like a kung fu movie is like something we haven't gotten before. So like there, there's a lot of like room in some of those things I think for innovation. And then like having some old reliables like Thor, who's on a hot streak right now with the director that brought him to the place where he is, and another Doctor Strange movie that's ideally going to get into some of the more like nuts and bolts of the MCU that we established in you know the Infinity Saga. Those feel like a good mix of the breadcrumbs that we were already interested in versus some stuff that ideally will get us interested for another whole, you know, investment of like ideally 10 years from them. Right. Like you'd, you'd think. Mm. Um, so I, I think it, it, it seems good. It seems calculated that it's not resting too much on the laurels of what we've already seen, but it's not entirely new shit. I'm, I'm largely indifferent. I, I don't have any, overwhelming sense of enthusiasm toward any of these things. Um, Eternals is a curiosity. I like Dr. Strange, so I'll come back to see that in a kind of just a, not in an enthusiastic way, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see it. Um, and even though I was a little, um, lukewarm, I'm, I'm into Shang-Chi. I, I love martial arts stuff and I, I'm, I'm down for that. But otherwise, like, the only things I'm really into are something with, with the X-Men or Fantastic Four, which haven't been announced, obviously. And I just want closure on the Guardians trilogy and the Ant-Man trilogy, which wasn't announced either. So lar- uh, by and large, Phase 4, I, I, I don't feel anything. Phil wants all new, all different. <laughs> I'm in a similar place, man. The only movie that's moving me is Doctor Strange. And it's because of the the Scarlet Witch element, and of the I'm more excited for the TV shows. But even there, the only ones that I care about are WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier. So I am so confident in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that it doesn't matter what movies they announce. I think they'll be good. But if you're asking me where my excitement level is based on these announcements, I have to say it's not that. Where's high. the draw? Right. Where's right. the fire? And um, yeah, I feel like they're at a point where, to your point, Sean, like I feel like they feel confident enough that they know they don't need it. You know that like if they come out and they're good, we'll go see them and we'll talk about them, and then we'll be excited for the sequels in the same way that we were about Guardians. You know, like and I, I think yeah. that's, I honestly think that's what they're doing right now. 
Is there? They hooked you, comics nerds. This is different though. See, Guardians had a really capable indie director who made a movie that does not feel like the rest of the MCU in a lot of ways. A lot of the other MCU movies, except maybe Black Panther, have a kind of an in-house feeling to them. Uh, and the in-house system works, but I don't know if that Guardians aspect is something that's transferable to these other unknown properties. So, I mean, I, I that's a salient point, but I think it's the kind of thing where that's a reasonable concern, but I'm not confident saying that that's not the case here until we see the result, right? Yeah. Like that 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 is true that that's why the guardians worked but there's literally no reason that eternals couldn't have the same success i agree you know it has it has a strong cast and an ip that like has juice and has legacy that they can pull from but that people aren't over like overly precious about and you know i think like that's that's an easy recipe for success if it's good and to the to the point that um that you've made often on this show, Phil, all of the phase three movies are the pretty much the best Marvel movies. Yeah. So why would we assume that now they're going to take a quality dip? You know? So I, I, I agree with you that I, I don't, I don't feel like my hype level is through the roof, but like, does that even matter anymore? I think it does. I, I think it does because not everyone has, you know, a podcast or like a like a reason to see every single Marvel movie. So Phase Three, like, look, Phase Three for a lot of people could just as easily be yeah. the end, if, yeah. right? Yep. So if it's not, what's the reason to keep? Do watching? you think people will get now, turned on by trailers and stuff like that though when they're closer? I'm a comic fan. I don't know. Obviously, this and yeah. If I wasn't on this podcast, I would not have seen Spider Man. Not now, at least. I would have probably waited. And in general. Like the burnout I'm expressing is real, and I probably want to come back to this for a couple years. But I, I, I have to bring up what Sean said before, man. I think you're in an extreme minority position there. Far from home made a billion dollars. It's the first Spider-Man movie to make a billion dollars. So it's like, I don't think that the average audience feels that way. And I think that yeah, maybe to Sean's point, maybe you don't go see every movie, but if you still go see like two or three of them a year, like they're still making money hand over fist, man. Like not everyone needs to be a billion dollar movie. And yeah. a lot of them aren't, right? Like Ant-Man 1 and 2, neither of those were like enormous money makers, but like who gives a shit? Like the rest of the pillars are so strong. Black Panther was a billion dollar movie. Spider-Man was a billion dollar movie. The last two Avengers movies were billion dollar movies. And if they can if one of these movies hits that hard, it justifies the other two that come out that year. And ideally you if they don't get you the first time, when the next big crossover comes, you're like, shit, I better go watch that on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever. And I, I almost feel like it doesn't matter. Like, I'm not saying that hype doesn't matter at all, but I think the world not being set ablaze by this right this second is not indicative of people losing interest. What's interesting, though? I, I don't... Go ahead, Marco. Uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily an issue of people losing interest. I think... For, for Marvel and for Disney, it's like, will they hit that next billion dollars at this point, right? It's like, how do they retain that... Momentum. That level of... Right, how do you re retain that that momentum of people are so excited to see this con yeah. this conclusion? Yeah. We've hit that conclusion. It's like the first arc of a comic, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's a drop-off. There's always a drop-off. So the question is going to be retaining them after this first complete arc and being able to see, like... like I'm, I'm interested to see... 
Disney Plus numbers specific to the Marvel stuff and the first two movies. Like from that, that'll help probably predict the rest of Phase 4 and then into Phase 5 to see as like the hype builds for the story. So this is what Sean and I kind of alluded to before, but every summer Disney topped the box office with a movie that seemed like it was going to be an obvious draw. And um, Guardians of the Galaxy was one of those outliers where there was a risk. Did it with Ant-Man where it was like, well, you know, we're doing so well, we can throw a couple, you know, uh, risks out there. But those same summers, they had other giant movies coming out that could offset that risk, like Avengers 2 Ultron, mm-hmm. which obviously uh, I think I underwhelmed a little bit. But my bigger point is there's no movie in this lineup, I think, that really represents an opportunity to be that draw. I don't know about that, though, man. I I think Thor 4 is is going to be a bigger one. So could Doctor Strange. I think that was a a moderate success, too, the first one. Yeah, but now Doctor Strange has been in two other movies. I look at this, and my, 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 my thing is this. It's easy to underestimate what Iron Man and and, uh, Captain America meant to the MCU. And I think we don't realize, because we're not necessarily in those circles, how many people watch these movies for those characters. Yep. Um, And then when you look at this list and you don't see Spider-Man, you don't see uh, either of those. You see Thor, but Natalie Portman's the big draw. Um, You see Doctor Strange, and he, he definitely had a bump up in popularity, I would say, after Infinity War. Um, but his movie didn't do as well. So I don't know. I'm not calling Doom. I would never, ever, ever call Doom for the MCU because I don't think that that's going to happen. Uh, more only what I'm saying is that we are literally in uncharted territory. There has never been in the history of cinema something like this. And I, uh, I, to your point, Sean, if there is an opportunity for it to stumble, that is now. Yeah. Yeah. So just throwing that out there. But I, I do want to move on because we need to close the show at some point today. And there is one last thing to talk about because that was not the end of the announcements. What? No, it wasn't. Insane. We got the announcement of Blade. Oh, that's right. With Mahershala, Mahershala Ali yeah. playing the character. Yeah. Yo, fuck what, yeah, the fuck, what the fuck are vampires doing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? <laughs> one, cool. Two, b- What? And then three. <laughs> All right, cool. I'm gonna see this. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm. This is the announcement I was the most hype about for sure. I, I, Blade is awesome. I love Mahershala Ali, and the fact that he was just like, "Yo, Marvel, I want to play Blade," and they're like, "All right, <laughs> awesome." Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, uh, we had we had previously discussed Blade, and it's funny because his name came up, and I think it, it was probably me. Uh, I, I I think I said, oh, well, it can't be him because he already Cotton played Mouth. Cottonmouth. Clearly, I was wrong. And I'm so glad to be wrong because I can't think of another actor that I would rather see play Blade. Me neither, dude. I, Mahershala Ali is, like, I think one of the best actors of this generation. Um, Obviously, the Academy agrees. And, uh, yeah, he's he's a phenomenal talent. And one of the things I like most about him is that uh, he does both like the dramatic indie stuff, but then will also do something like 
mainstream like playing Cottonmouth in Luke Cage and he brought an insane amount of chops and gravitas to that role that character's in like six episodes and he's one of the standout things about that show um so the fact that he's gonna get to be a leading man here and get to play Blade who just think about him anytime you've seen him in sunglasses and put like a leather trench coat on him and it's like this is gonna be fucking sick as hell are you kidding me yeah so hype you know who's pissed though? Wesley Snipes. Yo, whatever. Wesley Snipes is no. like fifty. He's cool. He's not though. He's he's actually been really really cool. Uh, he That's he dope. did put out a statement that I I actually really really loved. Um, I don't have it on hand, but I will find it uh, throughout this conversation. But my thing with the Blade movie was this, and I might be the only person who's thinking about this, and that's fine. And maybe I'm confused. But I don't feel like it was ever said specifically, 100% unequivocally, that this is a movie. What? Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I'll double check, but I'm pretty sure it was confirmed as, um, a, as a movie. Well, the you, thing was that they didn't, they, they didn't confirm it as a Phase 4 thing, and then he came out and said it's after that. Well, yeah. I know that much. Well, you look it up. I'll weigh in here. I think Mahershala Ali is probably my favorite actor in Hollywood right now. Uh yeah, I love him. He was terrific in Moonlight and obviously in Luke Cage. Um, he was great in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. He's a terrific actor. Um, my one actual concern is this is an MCU blade, which ties together with our Black Widow movie kind of concern. This is a movie that should be super violent, rated R, I would think, but a rated PG-13 Blade? I don't know. See, I, I was talking about this with some friends recently, and I think... I, I don't think that matters that much because I don't think any of the things that you need to do to make Blade feel like Blade need to be... Like, warrant in our rating. Like, you can have a pretty fucking violent movie be PG-13. And, like, Blade doesn't need to curse or anything like that, which are, like, some of the big problems for, like, Deadpool and stuff, you know? Um, so I don't know, like, I, I think it could work, and I wonder if this might be the first MCU movie we see that's actually R-rated. It could work without those things, but would it be better with those things? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Probably, yeah. I think, I think this is the very first MCU announcement where my mind, well, no, that's not true, Black Widow is the first, so this is the second, where my mind says this movie would absolutely be better if it had an R rating. Yep. It's like the Logan thing. Yes. It benefit from radar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I do have uh, the Wesley Snipes commentary. He said, to all the day walk- all the daywalkers losing their minds right now, chillax. Although the news <laughs> comes as a surprise, it's all good. Such is the business of entertainment. Much peace to the MCU crew. Always a fan. Honor and respect to the Grandmaster Stan. Stan Lee, of course. Congratulations and salam to Mahershala Ali, a beautiful and talented artist whose expressions I look forward to experiencing for many years to come. Inshallah, we will someday work together. Most importantly to my loyal fans, the incredible outpouring of love is overwhelming. I am grateful to the ne- for the never-ending support. So not fret, not worry, it's not the end of the story. Welcome to the Daywalker Click. Love, I love what he had to say. Um, what a classic, thought, man. That's, yeah. that's a really cool way to, to do that. My thought is, what if Wesley Snipes plays um, Whistler? That'd be pretty cool. Yo, okay, yeah, I could get behind that. Yeah, well, he opened his eyes that. though. 
He would have to open his eye. Well, I don't know, man. The CGI these days, much better. We could make that <laughs> eye-opening thing be way less creepy. Yeah. Um, okay, so I want to move on from Blade. Uh, we're going to talk about these things again and again and again. We just we don't have all the time on Earth. So the last thing I want to talk about is how Kevin Feige wrapped things up by saying uh, that he basically teased the future of the MCU, and he said the following. I didn't even have time to talk about the Fantastic Four, and there's no time to talk about mutants. He also referenced Black Panther sequel, Guardians 3, and Captain Marvel 2. So those are clearly all on the docket for Phase 5. That's fine. Uh, But I have something in my craw that I cannot get out. Uh Uh-oh. And it is the fact that Kevin Feige said mutants and not X-Men. Now I'm going to take you back to about a month ago. We did a story about how Victoria Alonso said that she felt the phrase, the, the, the term X-Men was antiquated and it wasn't inclusive enough. I do remember that, yeah. And she would like to see a different term used because some of the best X-Men are women. And uh, that's ex- that's it's it's it's, it's ex- ex- excluding of of them to call the team X Men. I obviously disagree with that, but I think that Kevin Feige not saying X Men is indicative of the fact that he agrees with her perspective. He said that what they're going to do with the X Men has never been seen before on screen, and that leads me to believe. That we can look to the book that we also reviewed this week, House of X, as an example of what they might do. What do I mean by that? In House of X, there's some kind of... What's a good word? Uh, like a safe haven. Fair yeah, term? Yeah. For yeah, mutants. Yeah. Okay? Alright. I believe the way they introduce mutants is that they've always been around... They exist on an island that is undiscovered, and Professor X scoops people up who are mutants from everywhere else, and there's a block on people's minds to know about them, and they they live alone. They don't do anything to interact with the regular world. That's my theory. That would be crazy. I mean, it's something that I remember throwing out there like forever ago when we talked about how they might introduce them is that they've always been there and we'll find out they've been doing stuff in the background all this time and that Charles just erases everyone's memory every time. And I don't even suggest they're heroes. That's why they wouldn't yeah. be called the X-Men. They're not they're not they're not heroic people. They're not there yeah. yet. They're not like a group yet. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. That's that's an interesting wrinkle. I, I, I'm not sure what to make of that. Yeah, then that's not an interesting premise to me. Me neither. Honestly. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see on that one. I think. I think that that that's one of those things where him saying it that way, it meaning something is just as likely as it just being a word choice that's ambiguous. You know, so like it could be nothing, or it could be him signaling what their plans are in a way that's like very different to us. Because like I don't know. I feel like Kevin Feige definitely sometimes like. I don't want to say lies, but like says selective mistruths like that to like throw us off the scent of what they're actually doing. Cause I remember him being like, Oh, even if we buy Fox, like we're, you're not going to see them anytime soon. And now he's already talking about them, you know? So it's like, 
I, I don't know. Like I don't I don't know what to make of that, but I think you're throwing out a pretty interesting theory there. And if it ends up being right, I'm gonna be really disappointed. <laughs> well, hey man, phase four ends in twenty twenty one. Yeah. And so twenty twenty two puts us uh three years after Endgame, Kevin Feige said they had the movies planned out for five years. So if the next, if the next, if the if the first X Men movie comes out in twenty twenty four, that's five years. Yeah. But um, in any event, that's all the announcements that came out of this whole deal. Um, I think the general consensus among us is best summed up by cautious optimism, with Phil maybe not being so close to the optimism part. Um, but I think we're in for a ride. I do think we're in for a ride. And I think phase four is very much a precursor to phase five, which could be absolutely insane. So Time will tell. This could That's be right. their idea of a cool down period. You know, to me, this mm-hmm. feels very similar to what phase two was like, where it felt like the calm before the storm. That was phase three. Fair enough. So, let us know what you guys think. What movie in Phase 4 or television show, what project are you most excited about? And uh, what are you kind of not so excited about? Fuck them all. Hashtag Phase 5. Let's see Blade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are many ways you can reach out to us. As we said at the top, you guys can catch us on almost all podcast hosting platforms. Uh, you can write to us on all the social medias at the Comics Pals. And also you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can hit us up to talk about anything. If you want to get in our mentions on social media, that's awesome. But keep in mind, we might not see them because mentions are wonky. The best way to get to us is to write to us, like I said, at thecomicspals at gmail.com. So hit us up there with everything you have to say to us because we want to read it and we love your attention. Let's do some plugs. Pete. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. Make sure you check out the addendum episodes we did today uh, on our review and our interview with Philip Sevy. Great pieces of content. Hope you enjoy them. If you want to get some more stuff from me, you can find me at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come talk to me about your hype levels for Blade. It is the thing I want to talk about the most. Uh, and then you can also find some of my other work on loopots.com where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Podcast, as well as our uh, Patreon exclusive show, uh, After Dark. So if you want some more podcast content for me, go check that stuff out and uh, show your support. I'd appreciate it. Awesome. Marco. You can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, go check out my comic. Uh, it's linked in my Instagram. It's also linked in my Twitter. Uh, I have been working with some people in the comic jam. Uh, so uh, I will be oh. having two one-page stories coming out in the next couple months uh, with a couple, you know, here and there. So be on the lookout for those. I've been having a lot of fun with it. And if you are a creator, just want to sort of write and and meet with people who are artists and who are writers and just chat and talk about nerd stuff and comics and manga and all that, come join us, uh, the Comic Jam. Uh, you can find them on Twitter. And yeah, just hit me up to talk about it if you want to join. Awesome. Uh, Phil? You can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto All right. on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the link there where I write a manga about tentacle stuff. Yo, I wish. <laughs> nice. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only on at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about why 
we need the X-Men and not just the mutants in these films. The mutant men. Got it. Nailed it. <laughs> the mutant people. <laughs> uh, so with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. Where was DC, huh? Right. <laughs>